the garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome to Mid-South Gardening. Glad you can be with us this morning, this early morning. We are here live. We always come in at 6 and do the show. About half live till 7. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then by 8, we're good to go. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Veda with Palladio in Memphis. Yes, yeah, she is. And I'm Dan. Uh, Dan. I'm Kenneth with Dan West Garden Centers. <laughs> Call me what when you I want. When I tell you, he's half asleep. <laughs> Call me what you want. <laughs> and I'm Jim Crowder, the... Other the guy. larger half of the <laughs> these three here. I am administrator of our Facebook group, Mid South Gardening, Gardening in USDA Zone Six, Seven, and Eight. Yeah, what a wonderful Facebook! We've had group. a lot of activity yes. this week. A lot of new members. Um, we've got, in fact, we've been. I think last month about five hundred new members. Good lord! Uh, Can you saying that every week? I know we're really we're doing really well. I mean, the uh, word is out. Yeah, and and not just the local. You know, we had yeah. a lot from North Carolina this past week over uh, in Blowing Rock in that area. What kind of uh, problems is everybody having? I mean, same well, things we're having here. Mu- it's pretty much the same mm-hmm. questions. You know, what's going on? Uh, you know, seeing uh, um, the ambrosia beetles and crepe myrtles, which we haven't seen before. Remember, I said this last yes. weekend. I had yep. a lady come in with a picture, and it little it was riddled. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I got a notice from uh, Leslie. Our our uh, Ag or Tennessee Department of Agriculture agent, and mm-hmm. uh, they were they getting a lot of reports about it. Uh, of I course, mean, we're seeing them on fig trees too. Oh no, yeah, that's just, not the fig tree. Why yeah. not the crepe myrtles? But the, <laughs> the fig, I think, are mostly distressed and dying wood. Mm, okay, yeah. in in the green trees, it doesn't seem to be affecting them much. But we had one picture that just uh, it was. Uh, it, it was scary looking. There was so much of the, <laughs> the, frass. the frass coming yeah. out and six and eight inches long, you know. Wow. Uh, so an ambrosia beetle is a beetle that's going to bore into the trunk. Right. like Kind of like a, a boar does. And, you know, I made the comment last weekend about the uh, crepe myrtle. This lady has shown me a picture of. And it would, thank goodness, it was just one trunk of the crepe myrtle. And she did say that particular trunk was... It looks like it was dying right. back already. Yeah. Right. yeah, and I think that's it. I think they're hitting distressed wood, not as much as fresh wood. And, in fact, uh, during the last night, I haven't had a chance to respond to it yet. We got a picture of a lady's crepe myrtles where they have definite freeze cracks in them that are showing up now. Mm, uh, you yeah. know, so, mm. uh, right, you know, that's just what we say, that uh, stressed-out plants... They're mm-hmm. more susceptible to insect and disease problem. Right. And we're seeing a lot of, obviously, y'all can all tell, too, that we have a lot of stressed out plants from this season. I mean, they're still dead looking. Now it's all dead looking plants, but then they've got little green in the middle. Mm-hmm. And it's making a person that loves to prune insane like me. I want to mm-hmm. stop at these people's house and just prune it all off to Thank the green. Thank God she didn't have her pruners in a truck. Oh right my now. gosh, I'd be exhausted. But, <laughs> that's, but you know, it's um, happening. Things are coming back. Great. Well, but then again, the flip side of that is how much damage are we going to continue to see for the next year or two? Whether it's um, cracks, like Jim was just saying, you know, from this, this past winter, there's going to uh, this the micro lesions that are in the trunks and stems, and we're going to start getting canker disease and a lot of those you know splits and cracks that aren't usually yeah. there. And uh, like Jim just said on the his on the Facebook page, you saw crepe myrtle damage now, right? 
And this is like after you would think. Oh, yeah, that we're out of the woods. You know, you yeah. know, thank goodness. As the you know, woods expanding now, you can see the crack, yeah. you know, wow. that was up underneath that bark. Uh, so, you know, now the question is, is it going to kill the trunk? Well, you really don't know yet. I mean, that's it, never a good thing. Okay. Exactly. Uh, and we had a picture of another tree where um, uh, it was, in fact, it was a silver maple where the limbs were dying off like that on one side, you know. And but then to when me, she, that's a good thing. Yeah, <laughs> right, it is. Right, yeah. Right, and then right. she showed a, a picture of the trunk, and it's got a huge crack in it, mm-hmm. which, you know, is typical of, of uh, and this happened a number of years ago because mm-hmm. the wood had rotted yeah. up in there. So yeah. it's her favorite tree, you know, she says, because mm-hmm. it shades the, the grandchildren when they're in the pool. Yeah. But the yeah. fact is the, the strength of the trunk is terribly compromised. Mm-hmm. And silver maples are already a very weak wood tree. Ooh, mm-hmm. And then bad. this one had uh, you know, about six feet off, or five feet off the ground. It split into three ne- trunks with narrow angles, and that's not good no, either. No, no. You know, and yeah. at the end I said, am I just full of good news or <laughs> yeah, what? Right. Yeah, well, yes, because your good news is if you get rid of this tree, it's not going to fall on your grandkids in the shade in the pool. That's the thing. I said, if there's anything you treasure that it might fall on, you better move it. Right. You know, cut it down. Well, and then to that point, I was talking to a lady yesterday at the garden center, and she had a Japanese maple uh, that had a big split in the trunk. Mm. Now, that's the first big split in the trunk of a Japanese maple that I've heard of this year. But while I was explaining to her, you know, Jim, you know, like you were talking about months ago, how when it gets that cold and then the sun comes out and hits one side of the trunk of that uh, tree, it really heats up. Right. And, you know, then it, it contracts when the sun goes down. So you, you're constantly getting this, this expansion and contraction going on. So you get a split. You know, and, you know, I know that a Japanese maple is a very thin, and it was a younger one, a thin barked trunk. So, I mean, I'm like, God, this stuff just right. doesn't stop. Even though, like you said a while ago, Vader, there's good news, you know, that a lot of things are coming back out that we thought were dead. And a lot of things that looked horrible, you know, by now, finally by now, they're starting to look a lot better. But it's that, kind of like our, yes, most prized, our most prized plants are the ones that really got bit. Mm-hmm. The ones that, the most expensive ones, the most full-grown ones. And I'm trying to impress upon people that I think we're going to see more sun scald damage in the Mid-South area. Now, what do you mean? Expound, what do you mean, Jim? Because we're getting more of these warm spells in February and early March, followed by cold right. spells, which... You know, we really want the ground to freeze and stay frozen, you know, or stay thawed, one of the two. But I think we need to, when I say plant smarter, we need to plant these trees like dogwoods and Japanese maples where we know they're going to be shaded from the morning sun because that's going to be an issue. And even a deciduous tree can give you enough shade. You know, if it's under a big oak, it's it's going to give you enough shade to prevent that. See, but... (laughs) Then you got to plan ahead. You know, I like yeah. to go out there and kind of look around and go, okay, I want a tree right mm-hmm. there. And I look over there and I want another tree right there. Yeah. Right. Because that's where it's going to look the best. And in as, my nursery, eye. as a nurseryman, we have no trouble selling you two yeah. or three. <laughs> okay. So I definitely, <laughs> definitely want a tree there. And I know as it grows, it'll shade the, the trunk. 
So what can I do if I want to really try to make the tree grow there? Well, you can't like, go ahead. Wrap it. That's well, one say, thing. But you can't keep it wrapped forever, though. No, you want to take yeah. it. You want to until it gets up to the where it forms real bark, mm-hmm. which with dogwoods is about seven years or so. <laughs> you think about yeah. wrapping it. Or plant mm-hmm. you a small holly or something right beside it so that mm-hmm. it shades it from morning sun. Like and then that. cut it out when it's when you gets big enough. And then yeah. you can do something as simple as just laying a little board against uh-huh. the trunk right. of the tree right. on right. that side. And that will help shade that, that trunk also. Ugly as heck, but you can yeah, do that. right. <laughs> yeah, but it's only ugly during the winter months, Well, now, though. then you paint, you paint welcome on the board. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, get one of those little pictures where you see the back end of those somebody. Are, yeah, the white <laughs> people. And, and Jim, when I was asking, talking to this lady on the Japanese maple, and they did, she was saying this was more on the south side. Yes, it would be. Your crack typically shows up on the south or north side. See, I would think it'd be the (laughs) eastern exposure because that's where the sun comes up. It's where where the frozen and the thawed wood meet, which is the north or south side. That's where you'll see the crack. Gotcha. You know, now as it expands, what you'll see is the bark will shed off on the east side Mm -hmm. because the crack is is causing that. But it is uh, typically you'll see your first crack on either the south or north. So that's that transition uh, line right there. Right. Yeah, yeah that, see, I, I didn't right. think that far ahead. Well, thank you, sir. That right. goes up, yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, I was no, thinking, well, hang on the south side. Why would it be on the south side? And sure enough, that makes mm-hmm. sense because the east side is heating up. Right. The, the west side is still right. in the shade. So it's that south or north side that's where, you know, yeah. there's the biggest difference between the two that's temperatures. Right. That's where the bark will expand to, and if it, it can't expand enough, it cracks right there. No, do we think it's going to be mostly the thin-skinned, you it's, know, trees? Yes. Usually, is. yes. Yes, <laughs> it's, it's going to be fruit trees, uh, uh, dogwoods, dogwoods, Japanese maples, um, some of the 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 uh, maples that are. Um, even like Red Sunset, some of those, yeah. they're, they're huh. still papery when they're very young. Mm-hmm. So I think we, just because our weather is changing, we're going to need right. to, to think a little further ahead and uh, protect mm-hmm. these plants. So hopefully we're giving everybody a lot of hope out there. Yeah, Ambrosia right. beetles, you know, that we hadn't seen around here. Where every now and then you'll see a few of them. They're attacking, you know, our crepe myrtles. And, and Japanese beetles yeah. this week have exploded. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they have. Yeah. Those, those yeah. little green little <laughs> boogers. Yeah. Yeah. We get it's, pictures of buckets full of... <laughs> Full of Japanese yes, beetles. Yes, and we'll, tons of p- pictures of that. We'll yeah, talk. pride. That is like, I am proud. Look what I got. Uh, and we'll talk more about Japanese beetles, yeah, but we'll agreed. fight this for like another, what, 30 days at least? Yeah, 30, 30, to, 30 to 60 days. The beetles or the... Japanese um, beetles. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, 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 exactly. I want to talk about Japanese beetles too. But, you know, that's that's the point of all the insects is to get rid of things that are dying because if... The insects aren't around to start breaking all this dead stuff down sooner than later. Then we've got a lot of dead-looking landscape and more disease and insect can come in. So that's the design. I mean, Mother Nature doing her job. Right, right. culling the herd, you know. That's why, I mean, do you ever walk through like a natural setting and see a bunch of dead stuff unless something's come through badly? But no, because the insects are naturally taking care of all of it. So now it's just trying to help us out. They're, the insects are trying to prune it for us. They, that's a good and try. We got to work. Honey. We got to work. Yeah, we have to plant smart. That's why. And what you know, talking about the winter going up and down, up and down. Even that's one of the reasons it's really hard to grow things here too. That's right. And even though we're in the zone, the right zone. 
there's two things about it is sometimes it's because our zone goes from what a six to an eight in in an hour or mm-hmm, something mm-hmm. or yeah. three like last oh, yeah. December. <laughs> yeah, and so that makes it difficult even though we're in the right zone. And I uh, sometimes people see things that'll grow in this zone and they'll go, oh, well, they're going to come back. They're going to come back. And the problem is it's the summer <laughs> that kills them out. It's not all the time the winter, but it's time to go to a break. Thank you, Jim. You're welcome. We will be right back after these messages. Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. You can give us a call, 901-260-5926. You can look us up. I'm sorry. I do want to welcome uh, Herbert Systems as one of our partners has joined us now. We're going to... So I'm here in the next couple of weeks. We'll get Kenny Crenshaw up here and uh, let him uh, good guy. tell about his program and so forth. Let me you kill know. your weeds. Yeah, yeah, they're good at killing weeds, I guarantee you. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so back to insects again. So, um, you know, people, we, I'm sorry. Go no, ahead. go ahead. People have the mis- the thought that if they can kill um, Japanese beetles in their yard, that that it's it's a done deal, you know. Treat right. your lawn, and you won't have any problems. The ones that are in your lawn are likely not the ones eating your plants. Okay, they're coming from other people's mm-hmm. yards. <laughs> well, how come the ones in your lawn aren't eating yours? Well, it's possible. Yeah, but but they're not the they only ones. That's right. They're, yeah. they're calling their buddies. <laughs> so you know, it's not just treating your lawn for the grubs. The main issue they're going to cause is kill your grass. Okay, and that's going to be midsummer on in. You get a little bit in the spring, but midsummer on into fall is where you're going to see the damage on that grass. But the ones that are flying in right now, we get most concerned about, and they are the least issue because what are they going to eat? Your crepe myrtle flowers? Chances are they'll resprout another flower, you know, mm-hmm. or new foliage if they eat roses, rose foliage, or rose flowers. They'll come right back out. So. They're not likely to kill anything, okay? So, but we want to, oh, we get so panicky mm-hmm. when we see them. and you Right, know. right, Jim. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, too, about the fact that they're, I mean, the only thing that they're going to bother me on would be the roses. Roses? you know, you're, but they do flush back out, yes. you know. But and same with great myrtles, yeah. you know. Now, I know Kenneth lost all of his flowers. Every, every bloom I had last you know. two years. Yeah, and I saw a post on your Facebook page about that. I think mm-hmm. I... You know, where she had her crepe myrtle blooms. I'm like, okay, that's only two I've heard, and, Kenneth and her. And that one, you know, if, if if that's an issue, you you may want to spray with something to prevent from losing your color, okay? But it isn't going to kill your crepe myrtle. No, of course not. Yeah. But, you know, it's one of those things where uh, I've got a good friend that comes into the garden center, and she takes care of people's roses. And roses is her only deal. Uh, mm-hmm. And she's been buying traps. Now, Tammy. Uh, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Kimmy, a uh, wonderful Manderson, really sweet lady. Um, so she's been dr- buying quite a few traps to put out there. Uh, and, she, of course, she's not putting the trap right in the rose garden. Important point. Yeah. You know, I mean, because <laughs> people yeah. think, hey, I'm, I've got uh, Japanese beetles uh, eating my roses up. So I'm going to put this trap right here in the middle of the rose garden. Therefore, they'll go to the trap and not the roses. Well, yes, but what you're also doing is drawing in some of these other Japanese beetles to that right. point, no. It's like the the traps are really more for to identify if you have a lot and mm-hmm. where they are and if you should treat or not. 
Well, but you can catch a bunch of them in that mm-hmm. trap. But my point is, you put that trap over there in the corner of the yard, or if you can, sneak it in the neighbor's yard. You know, that's what I used to tell people. You know, you go down the street, three or four houses, and, and find some. <laughs> you know, you got <laughs> Japanese beetles eating on this thing. I got an extra trap. Can I bring it down here and put it up for you? So Japanese beetles <laughs> are heading toward the neighbor's house, and they're going, ooh, I smell some pheromones. <laughs> and they turn. Because okay. it will, it That's will like attract them. That's the same them. with the moles, yeah. right? Uh, but it's, uh, you know, it's, but like Jim was saying, it's not only the Japanese beetle that we're fighting. Uh, just as important is the grub, where they're coming from. And the grubs can do a tremendous amount of damage to our lawns. And by default, we're having more grub problems in our lawns because right. of the advent of yeah. Japanese beetles. Used to be it was just a little June bug that we had to fight so the grub. Like, mm-hmm. like right now... In the next couple of weeks or so, the Japanese beetles will go back into the ground, lay their eggs or their larvae, and then it'll do its thing, and they'll get up closer to the soil, like in September, October time frame. Late summer, they start feeding, and the bad thing about that is if they're chewing those roots Mm -hmm. off, when the ground begins to cool, you're going to get very little root development, so you're going to go into winter with grass that's had its roots pruned and you're much more likely to have winter damage. I mean, I know we're full of wonderful information this morning. But, so this, that's when you treat with the um, imatochlorpid is like the the late summertime because they're closer to the surface. Well, the very best time is in Mm -hmm. May when the young grubs are coming up to the surface. Oh yeah, right, right. The adults are laying eggs, so if Mm -hmm. you can get it down late April, so it's there in May and June. Yeah, through July. That's the most important time. Mm -hmm. Now, if you didn't do it, do it when it's, you know, before they go deep, you know, and it will stop them in the stage that they're at. Yeah, there's a product called um, uh, High Yield Bug Blaster Above Below, okay? Mm -hmm. Above below has got the two active ingredients. It's got the ingredient there that will kill grubs that are active at the moment. What what what's, what's got? I haven't heard and it's about got the imidacloprid in it also. What's the other one? Do you know? Uh, the uh, I'll gee, look I it knew up. you would. I I'll would look, it look it up. <laughs> um, but that is a really good product, and you only have to put it down one time per year. That's the beauty of it. Where if I put something down like Dilox, which I really love that product also, Dilox is going to kill. The grubs that are active right now, okay, which is all fine and good, but like you said, you're going to get another generation of grubs later on right. this year. Yeah. You can kill every grub you have. You don't have a grub one left in your yard, right, if mm-hmm. you put it down, Dilox down today. But by the end of the year, you're going to have grubs again. Yeah. So this other product above below is going to have, uh, it's got two different products in there to kill the ones that are in there now and, of course, to kill the future generation that we're going to get uh, later on, so but that's got a, that stays in the soil for exactly. like four or two, for, for three a whole growing season, yeah, for a growing yeah. season. So it is. It's one of those things where guys, we're going to see more grub damage in lawns. There is no doubt. In fact, we already have Veda because of all the Japanese beetles that we didn't used right. to have around here. Well, scientists at the uh, USDA are, are starting to study more with the biological controls and all and of course it's a whole different thing than just put it you know like you put the dialogs or the imatochlorpid down and you're going to get probably quicker results than using integrated pest management or mm-hmm. using biological controls but they're still good with the milky spore mm-hmm. that still works you know it takes a couple of years for that to work but now there's a lot of parasitic 
um, insects that they're mm-hmm. working with to release and having some good control of it as well. So we're working kind of on the two-step method of of using biological controls, getting that integrated in, but you're still having to do something to get uh, quick control Mm -hmm. until all the biological activity picks up. Even funguses now that that can seek out the grubs in the soil. Well, Japanese beetles, uh, they've been in the U.S. since 1916, okay? That's how long Japanese beetles have been here, and they've been in Tennessee since 1936, okay? But... Mm. In Tennessee, they were always on the eastern side of the state, you know, always. And then, you know, years ago, maybe six or seven years ago, we were like, okay, now they're in Nashville. And they were just, re, you know, just going crazy. And usually what happens in Nashville happens to us. And now we've got them just like right. every, So they're over the entire state of Tennessee well, it's now. It's like millions of dollars have been lost in lawn care mm-hmm. for because of the Japanese beetles, like $460 million and then the larva stage was like $234 million a I'm year, saying, dollars. Yeah. A little bug, you know? <laughs> yeah. And Jim, you're right. Uh, the above below had the imidacloropid in it, and it's got the lamba high... Uh, lamb- yeah, that one. <laughs> yeah, lam- uh, lamba cyhathalon. That's actually a product called Demand. That's much easier. Thank you. That's the trade name for it. Yeah. So two good products mixed together to help control these... These Japanese beetles, so. Yeah, so I like, uh, you said it's called Defend? Demand. 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 Demand is, yeah, it, it's been around a long time, as a, and I've seen it in liquid. I did not know that it was available in granules. Yeah, so good product. Yeah. yeah. Oh, All I right. love anything in granule <laughs> because it's so <laughs> much easier, <laughs> right? Well, I think it is. Put it out with a spreader and just Except, water it in. Except I do like the in the fertilizer liquid on stuff yeah. though. We'll be right back after these messages. Alrighty. Good morning gardeners and welcome to Mid-South Gardening. Glad you can join us. You can pull us up on Facebook and watch us there. You can post questions on Facebook too. It's the Mighty 990. Also, download the app, the Mighty 990. If you're having trouble hearing us, you can stream us mm-hmm. on your phone or laptop. And kwmradio.com, streaming live all the time. You can go back and listen to the podcast anytime you want. And I was talking to a gentleman the other day at the garden center, and that's exactly what he had been doing. He had been out doing some yard work, and he said, man, I, he said, I never get to listen to y'all live because I'm asleep. And I said, well, you, that's your you know, that's your choice. Yeah. You could get up with us. He said, but I'd rather just sleep in and listen to mm-hmm. the podcast later on. Yeah. When, when I talk about it at work and for, or they'll look at, we have, you know, a sign out that says what time you can listen to us. And they're kind of like, well, and then you go podcast. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm ready. So. And we had uh, Miss Smith, she texted in. She said, what to do about squirrels? You know, we're full of bad news this morning talking about Japanese beetles. She said squirrels in the garden. You know, squirrels are a big time problem. I mean, major problem. And I've always said there's more squirrels in Shelby County than there is in the whole state of Mississippi, okay? Mm-hmm. But yeah, squirrels, it's one of those things where we're never going to get rid of them. They're here, they're not going anywhere. And to me, I can almost deal with the squirrels if they're not gnawing holes in the house, okay? Mm-hmm. If they're out there plucking a few grub, beautiful, ripe red tomatoes, which they will. They'll take two bites, look at you, and throw it on the ground, go grab another one, and won't think anything about it. They're doing their tomato tasting contest. Yeah, they are. (laughs) 
but I guess if you know if you have a squirrel problem, I mean, to me, you know, a trap uh, is one way to help. I guess eliminate some squirrels because you're not going to get them all. Uh, and I'm talking about just to have a heart trap. You know, you put some bait in there, catch the squirrel. What are you going to do with it? I teach them how to swim. Okay. Uh-huh. And, hadn't taught, and I haven't found one yet that can. Mm-hmm. Uh, or you take oh. them, um, you know, to the neighbor's yard and let them go. Jim, and we always heard that people used to take them out to the Shelby Farms and let them go. And I mm-hmm. believe that's even illegal it to is. do that. It is illegal to um, remove a wild animal from your property. You can catch them and relocate them on your property but not your property over at Savannah, Tennessee, on the river. Yes. <laughs> well, yes. if you well if you catch them, you could make like um you, you can't Kentucky dist- fried uh, squirrel. The, the yeah. people don't eat squirrel Kentucky anymore. Fried, oh, there's tons yeah, of recipes. Of yeah, a lot of people do. There's there's still squirrel recipes yeah, out there. There's lots of squirrel recipes. It depends on what part of the United States you live in. That <laughs> just the thing. And I guess the other way to help. Uh, you know, get squirrels out of a garden area. A lot of people do use repellents. And then that's the, the argument is, okay, well, what's the best repellent? I don't know if there is a such a thing as a best repellent for anything. Because it's funny how sometimes the repellent will work mm-hmm. on some squirrels and it won't do a thing for another squirrel. The same thing goes with other varmints, right? But I still like, uh, you know, the bonide repels all. That's, a, that's just an all-purpose mm-hmm. repellent. And I do like the shake-away products, which are the granulated urines, like the fox urine, for example. I really think we've had better success with a granulated urine as a repellent than, to me, personally, most of the other repellents. Uh, but I always tell people, you know, you can definitely try repellent. Uh, you know, it's not, like they don't, it's not like they don't work. They do work, but I'm just saying no repellent out there is 100% effective against every varmint that you're trying right. to repel. Well, you, there's predator. I was wondering what was the predator of a squirrel? Because you'd Hawks. seem like. Hawks, yeah. bobcats. Yep. Yeah. Um, Foxes. Mountain lions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we're not going to see one of those around here. <laughs> well, Snakes you know, they did, they did cats. film one here. Yeah, um, they did. Three or four years ago, got a good clear picture mm-hmm. of him down near Getwell in 240. Okay, well, remind me. I wonder not to if go somebody shopping. had it as a pet. Do you think? Well, that, that's what it? they thought. Somebody it escaped from somebody who had it yeah. as a pet because it was a little, you know good bit out of its range. Yeah, man. Uh, but but snakes, typically, it would snakes. be a hawk mm-hmm. around here. Yeah, yeah. And domestic cats, they yeah. say. But um, a snake. A snake is a predator of a squirrel. Yeah, boa that constrictor. Sounds, we don't have yeah. any of those around here. Would it be well, a boa constrictor? No, you could. Rat you know, corn snakes, rat snakes, yeah. racers. Oh, I guess they might get the the babies. Is probably what it is, well, like the could, nests and. They could probably eat a, uh, you know, a, an adult corn snake or adult king snake. Yeah. Could eat a squirrel. But I, I guess see, my, those aren't yeah. poisonous snakes. No, of course so, not. Yeah. But you know, to most people, any snake's a poisonous snake. You right, know that exactly. data, And that snake has got to go. <laughs> but there's not that many predators, uh, of course, in Shelby County, especially within are. the city. Yeah. Within the city, though, that can take care of the sheer number of squirrels that we have. So, you know, we as humans, we're always trying to figure out some way to eliminate our property of squirrels. And, and, and I still chuckle every time I think of this and... Mr. Jim Crowder over here, when he had his bird feeder up. <laughs> and Jim was like, okay, I'm going to think of a way yeah. to keep these squirrels at least off my bird feeder. So he rigged up this little electrical device where if they touched the pole and the, and the feeder at the same time, well, they got a little zap. It right. didn't kill them. It just <laughs> got their attention. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I remember on the show not too many shows <laughs> back, 
I uh, was getting really enamored with having the fox in my yard because they don't hurt people. They'll eat squirrels. But you gave me a negative about it, and I forgot what it was because it was a good negative. The, I said, fox don't because they they're predators. What is it else no, do they'll they eat do a squirrel. in the well, yard? The only thing bad is they'll eat a cat in a heartbeat. That's it. That's yeah. it. Yeah. 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 That was it. So yeah, they're I'm getting... like, eh, I don't know. Yeah. And then let me say this also. You but know, we... you might want to meet your neighbor's cat. That is a good cat repellent in that respect. <laughs> you know, then we also see the, the molded owl. You know, with the big yellow mm-hmm. eyes that's very menacing looking. And there's even an owl that's got the little bobble head that mm-hmm. moves around or the wind blows it around. And those are fine. But I'm telling you, you see people, they'll buy one. They'll take it home. They'll set it up. And they'll leave it in that same spot for the next year. Well, let me tell you right now, squirrels get used to that owl mm-hmm. not moving. And they and I've got a picture of a squirrel sitting on a fence <laughs> right beside one of the owls munching on a yes, juicy tomato. Love it. I'm not Love saying it. don't get an owl. I think they're wonderful. But just move You've the got owl. to move those things around. You can't leave them, leave them in the same spot week after week after week, no. or they will get used to it not moving. Do you still do they still make the one that had, um, that has the electric eyes in it so that it moves? Well, no. I'm sure they do, Jim. We've got the molded owl, and then we have the owl that has the little bobblehead, you know, okay. that moves around. But the eyes are very, you know, menacing and piercing because they're those big yellow eyes. And, and squirrels mm-hmm. can see that. And it looks just like an owl. Yeah, I had one years ago that uh, it had um, sensors on all four sides. And if it sensed something in one direction, it would turn its head <laughs> and then hoot. Oh, now see, Love that's that. the way to go. Yeah. It, was, it was pretty cool. Of course, I played with it more than you know, it said it, I know, wouldn't you? I know, right? <laughs> and, and, and it's good Halloween decoration. <laughs> and that reminds me of the the sprinkler that was used as a deer mm, repellent. Yeah. You know, yeah. you set the sprinkler out there. It has a motion detector on it. So whenever a deer or something came by, it would just shoot them with water. Yeah. You, you also know. use them when you have people that are letting their dogs go to the bathroom in your yard. Yeah. There you oh, go. That's a good idea. <laughs> I'll have to post uh, the picture on Facebook of a friend of mine, what his dad um, rigged up for repelling deer. He likes to weld and take different, you know, parts of different things and weld things together. And this one was, is really fun looking. And it was sensor, you know, when you walk past it, the radio, the music would come on really loud. Well, I didn't know he had made one. And I was, went to work in their yard and uh, started walking around the yard, and, and all of a sudden, that yeah, the music started going off, and I'm looking around, and like, then I see this alien-looking thing he built. Took me a while to get composed, and then ask what it was, and it was a deer repellent type I mean, of mechanism. I mean, the things that we would do to help keep critters out of our landscape, and then another really good deer repellent that we always say is milorganite. You know, in fact, I was talking to a young lady that lives off a of Walnut Grove down on Forest Hill or somewhere back way back mm-hmm. in the woods, and deer are constantly eating her landscape up. And I said, well, here, get two or three bags of this milorganite, sp- spread it all over the perimeter of your yard. And she's got oak leaf hydrangeas, and oh, it's a beautiful wow. place. Uh, and she called me back and said, I can't thank you enough. Mm-hmm. Um, because we all know that, you know, milorganite is a wonderful organic fertilizer, but it also dubs as a really good deer repellent also so if you're having a problem with deer in particular mm-hmm. first thing i would do is get man get out there with that milorganite and just spread it everywhere <laughs> you know that way because you're yeah. feeding everything plus you're repelling the deer right mm-hmm. man well summertime is almost here almost here it's a good time to um start to add some fertilizers to your baskets <laughs> to your containers especially if they've been planted 
for a month or so because they're really going to start needing some energy and some food and all that to work through our summer. But we're going to go to a break and we can talk more about tons of stuff. Well, but one thing we'll talk about when we get back from the break, I was sitting at my kitchen table the other morning and I looked out the window right there and that's where I have these boxwoods, these wintergreen boxwoods. And we all know about the damage on boxwoods. So mine are really, you know, have flushed out for the most part. And there's a little bit of dead actually I need to cut out of there. But my leaves look very off color. Okay. Yeah, that's a good one. We will be right back. Y'all can call us 260-5926. Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. (laughs) Give us a call, 901-260-5926, or you can post a question on Facebook Live. Also, uh, if you don't want to be on air, you can still call the number and then give Philip the question, and he'll put it in for us. Yeah. Sometimes you just don't want to talk this early in the morning to I get it. out to everybody. And one of the things I was telling you about Veda before we went to the break was um, I just noticed how off color my boxwood foliage was. And, and and these are, you know, boxwoods that have been through so much, of course, in the last two years. You know, remember last year we had the drought. It was mm-hmm. over 100 mm-hmm. degrees for two months and, you know, not one drop of rain, it seemed like. And then, you know, we had the flash freeze, of course. Uh, so, you know, and then we've been hearing about the volutella blight, you know, affecting a lot of the boxwoods out there. So, I mean, boxwoods have taken up just a killing. But here I am mm-hmm. sitting there, and I look over there, I'm thinking, man, those are boxwood mites. And, and you know, it just, you don't really see the mite itself. They're so mm, small. But all, you can yeah. surely see the damage that these boxwood mites are doing to the foliage of this plant. And usually on a healthy boxwood, boxwood mites are more of a nuisance than they are really detrimental to the shrub itself. You know, think about it. They're not going to kill the boxwood. And it definitely, that off color can make you crazy. So I'm thinking, mm -mm, you know, especially as weak as these things potentially are, I've got to get in there and get rid of these mites. And what I'm going to do is always like, if there's mites on anything, I like to get the water hose out and just wash them down. Just good, Mm -hmm. clean, cold water. Just blast them down. And then I'm going to let that dry and I'll get back in there and spray. And whether I spray with something like a neem oil or hort oil or even, you know, a systemic insecticide that's got mites on the label. But the key though with mites, Mm -hmm. and I don't care what kind of mite you're trying to to kill, is I'm going to do it about three times and about five days apart. So I'm going to give them a good washing and spray, wait five days, I'm going to wash and spray, and then I'm going to wait five days and wash and spray again. And the reason you really have to do it more than one time is the reductive cycle on these mites is so, mm-hmm. it's what, 10 days? Right, right. that's you why know? we're always saying you need to spray at least three times, because a week for three, three weeks. weeks. And so yeah. you've got to break that reproductive cycle is what you have to do. And then I really, really, really need to come back in and feed these boxwoods. I hadn't fed them at all anything this year. Uh, Did you last year? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I don't recall. I mean, but I I am going to feed them. I'm probably put a little lime around them and and feed them. I'm going to do everything I can. He was a politician. To to at least get them, you know, healthy again. Uh So, because they're still, you know, they're still green. They're still rounded and they're, they're okay. Right. But well, I had to ask you that because, you know, like... I usually don't, I didn't, you know. Right. Yeah, but I know because things do really good and, right. and you just kind of go Walk another year, them. you know, go another year and then you're like, oh. So basically, 
you can kind of say that you just let them one time get a little stressed, and then those mites were like, "Hello." Well, it's not that, and it's not that I let them. I mean, because uh, boxwoods all over this this county mm-hmm. are under stress because of the conditions the last two years we've had. Right. The, you know, the hot drought. You know, people didn't water like they should. Excessive mulch, mm-hmm. no mulch. Uh, then the winter kill. I mean, it, they are under stress. And like I said, the volatile blight. So I'm going to do, not only am I going to control the mites is my point, I'm going to do anything and everything I can to make these boxwoods as healthy as I can. And I guarantee you, if I do that this time next year, right. I won't have that mite problem that I'm having right now. Right. Yeah. So, so that, you know, that's one of the things that I'm thinking and noticing with a lot of damage is some of it would not have happened if um, we had stayed on our fertiliza- proper fertilization or even schedule. Or even watering schedule. Right, right. And I mean, of course, we're dealing with nature and we're it. dealing with life. So if you can't always take care of your yard and do that. But I just don't want people to be discouraged right. about it. No. And normally... If you've if they've been good and you've planted it right, just adding the root stimulators, some organic fertilizer, mm-hmm. stuff like that, just picks them right back up. Yeah, and I'm going to use probably milorganite around these uh, boxwoods. You know, there again, or or plant tone, yeah, something like that, yeah. something that is completely non-burning because boxwoods are very shallow rooted, and I surely don't want to put anything down that's going to burn those little root hairs. But I'm telling you, Veda, it's if you've got boxwood mites. Uh, you won't have that nice, shiny, green foliage. I mean, it looks very, I guess, cloudy or pinpricked. Right. You know, it's just like, it's off-color. Right, And almost to the point where they look just anemic and sickly. Yeah. So, you know, I'm going to hopefully today do something about that. So if you're walking around and you see your boxwoods looking like that. Not to be confused with that kind of even more off green that could be a whole nutritional deficiency or the pH could be wrong. So the the boxwood mite seems they're they're kind of a whitish, cloudish, yeah. you know. And the oh. other kind is a little more yellow. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So um man, just natural fertilizer or compost. Should I say compost around the bottom? Not around the crown. But so uh and we but need to be doing gonna, that anyway. Are you going to treat today? What I think you, how, so. What's your, what are you going to do? Are you going to also... I'm going to spray them also. What do you spray them? The cold water? I'm, I'm going <laughs> to flush mean, them down that with, with good yeah. cold, cold, cold water. Uh, I'll probably get some, uh, probably some acephate, which is the bonide liquid systemic mm-hmm. fungicide, like the old-fashioned orthene. You know, I, I don't like to spray anything unless mm-hmm. I have to, Veda. Right. Uh, or if I if I had some neem oil, you know, you mm-hmm. can spray with a, an oil spray. You could knock some back. And, uh, yeah, because you could. You could knock some back, maybe not all, with the neem oil. And then with your fertilizing, it's quickening the energy, and you could just knock it out. And the big difference is if I'm using something like a horticultural oil or a neem oil, I know that I need to spray under the leaves also. And I know I can't spray under yeah. all those leaves. <laughs> but like you said, I can get most of them on the top of the foliage. Mm-hmm. But if I'm using a systemic... Uh, you know, typically I don't have to spray under every leaf because the leaf will absorb it. So I'm going to wash them down really good, uh, give them a good spray in. And then, Veda, like you said, just as important, I'm going to come back and feed these things. And while I'm at it, you know, I've never put lime around them. I preach mm-hmm. and preach to people, make sure that pH is up where it needs to be. And, of course, I haven't done it. Right. You know, so there are right. things that I can do to make these things much more healthy than they are now. So that's my plan, Jim. Well, 
the, good plan. And yeah. I know if I can't get to it, I can call my buddy and he'll be right over there with me. Well, doing it for was, me. What's his name? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that's one of the things where plants can be missing a lot of micronutrients and things that we don't even see. And so plants can be slowly stressing over time and we're not even seeing it. And then we only see it when it, the plant becomes so weak that it starts taking on insect and disease problems. And so many of these micronutrients are not available if you're to that plant if the pH is out of whack, mm-hmm. you know. So you want to make sure that you get the proper pH for whatever you're growing so mm-hmm. that all of these nutrients are available to the plant. And that's like I tell people, pH is usually not a live or die situation at that moment. But over the long term, it makes a huge difference in how these things perform. Even a lawn, for example. I was talking to a gentleman yesterday. He um, takes care of a football field, and I won't say where, but he does. And and it's also dubbed as a soccer field. Well, of course, it gets a lot of wear and tear. No doubt about Mm -hmm. it, because kids are out there all the time on it. Well, he had this section uh, of uh, the field that was just, y'all, was just bare, barren, I'm telling you. And he brought some soil in for us to do a pH test, you know, just a little pH test. And I explained to him, I said, yeah, of course I will. I said, but I'm going to tell you right now, whether the pH is where it should be or whether it's off, that is not the, what actually killed this grass, okay? Yeah. From last year. I mean. Right, the, just not in one no, season. Yeah. No, and of course yeah. the pH was around where it should have been, by the way. Um, but you know, he had heard that, you know, pH is important. Well, he is so right. pH is important and you do want the pH up where it needs to be or down where it needs to be, depending on what you're trying to grow. But if your pH, let's say if it needs to be around six and a half in this, and and let's say if it was five and a half, which it shouldn't be right. Right. That still is not what killed the grass. So yes, I mean, if you've got grass that's dying out, you want to check all of the above, you know, you want to check your pH, you want to make check your light requirements you want to check the moisture and then you know try to figure out is it insect is it disease is it a chemical burn whatever it is but he was just thinking it could have been just the ph that killed that grass jim nope nope so now if the ph was off a long time the grass was never getting any of the nutrients it needed so it would be like a slow death right right that's and that's kind of like with even with people you know, you don't know anything is wrong, and then all of a sudden, uh, it was simple as you were low on iron. But you got other issues because you were low on iron. But it's easy to get out there and put that lime down, guys, on your lawn about every two years to keep that pH up where it needs to be. And like I said, most lawns around here, they want a pH between 6.2 to 6.8, 6.5 being ideal. All right, y'all, hang on. We'll be right back for the next hour. The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome to Mid-South Gardening. Glad you can join us for the second hour. I'm Veda with Palladio. She is uh, with Palladio, like you Mm -hmm. said, and I'm Kenneth with Dan West Garden Center, the one right there on Popper Avenue. We have another location on Highway 64, Mm -hmm. but you'll usually find me Right there yep. on Popper Avenue. And to my left, Mr. Jim Crowder. Howdy. <laughs> I, I love him. I'm the I'm a retired nurseryman, in case any of you don't know. And I'm also the uh, administrator of our Facebook group, Mid-South Gardening, Gardening in USDA Zones 6, 7, and 8. Yep. And if you go out to uh, Dan West on Highway 64, my son works out there. Yeah, say does. hi to Jeremy. Yes, hey, say hey to Jeremy. That's exactly right. And we are blessed and lucky enough to have 
you know, places like Lichterman Nature Center and uh, Dixon Gallery Gardens yeah. and, uh, of course, the Memphis Botanic Gardens. I mean, we really mm-hmm. are. I mean, those are just gems. I know. We're right here within it all. Of the city. And there's always something going on at these places, uh, you know, whether it's uh, people, that spokespeople or, you know, the different committees and, uh, you know, the societies. Uh, but, Jim, you were making a comment about a young lady coming into town, or she... Yeah, uh, she's, she's here, I think. Um, she's going to be speaking Tuesday night uh, at Memphis Botanic Gardens. Her name is Claudia West, and she is... I've heard was, that name. She was hired by um, the Botanic Garden to help revitalize the Arboretum. Mm. And so uh, there, there will be a tour Tuesday afternoon from 5 to 6 on some of the new things they're doing, thanks to her. Um, and the, the, and then her talk is at six thirty, uh, and she's going to be talking about how to make cities better by planting diverse landscapes and, and it's just going to be a really, really good speech. And I think mm-hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to go to it. I think you ought to, cause the tickets are just 10 bucks. Uh, mm. And uh, I think you'll really, really enjoy it. So, um, and that is this coming Tuesday. That's, this Tuesday, yep, uh, five to six for the tour, six thirty for the talk, and uh, look forward to seeing you there. And then also, there's another one coming up on uh, June twenty first uh, from twelve to one p.m. Where some dude named James Crowder is going to be talking about <laughs> unusual perennials and their culture. Gosh, who love is this it. James Crowder <laughs> yeah, person? Yeah, don't know. He keeps showing up places. <laughs> I love it. Uh, yeah, so it's their Munch and Learn series out of Dixon, and we're going to be talking about just some newer um, perennials that or uh, have been released. I'm not going to talk about things that you can't find. No point right. in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Thank so, you, by the way. Anyway, so and and we'll be in on. I'll be there as long as we need to to answer questions. So look forward to you coming out because we've all gotten the list before. Mm-hmm. They'll come in and Kenny. Here's a list of things I need, and it, it, they're nowhere to be found. That's right. Not even in the uh-huh. in the city. Okay, right? Exactly, and it's really frustrating too. Well, that's good. It's, it's, so that Jim, you said that was the twenty first. That's, that's the twenty first from twenty first from twelve to one. Yeah, that'd be a lot of fun. Yeah, and that's gonna be at the Dixon. So. There you go. Plenty to learn from. And we get to get some good speakers here. I mean, Always. and even Jim. Yeah, and even me. <laughs> I can okay. be a hoot when I get up behind a microphone. This well, is so true. <laughs> this is so true. Well, We've when, had fun doing a few talks together. One thing that, y'all, that we need to be somewhat thinking about, because, you know, so far the weather has not gotten crazy on us as far as the extreme hot temperatures. Okay? Yes, this has been great. Yeah, but, you know, it, it's going to flip overnight. You know it is. And one of the things that, that potentially will suffer uh, in this city is the the shade grasses called fescue. And there's a lot of fescue out there that people, uh, because of all the trees we have here. I mean, if you ever fly over Memphis, it looks like a jungle. It's nothing right. but trees. So right. true. And, and then if you fly over in the summer like now, you see all these white decorations in all the trees. What is that? The magnolia blooms. Yeah, you can you literally see tons of magnolia blooms on the trees when you're coming <laughs> in or taking off. Yeah. Well, but we're constantly trying to grow grass under trees, okay? And... People have different degrees of shade in their lawns, and we all know that zoysia can tolerate some shade, and if you get too much shade for zoysia, then you need to go with some type of fescue if you're trying to grow grass in the shade. So all of that, uh, you know, and and let's say if you've got even a nice-looking fescue lawn as we speak now, 
Um, there are a few things that you can do to help keep that fescue alive in the summertime. So, Because it, it's not the fall, the winter, and the spring that we really typically worry about fescue. It's in the summertime when it gets really hot and dry. So if you've got a fescue lawn and you're trying your best to keep that fescue lawn, the most important thing, of course, is water. I mean, you've got to keep fescue hydrated mm-hmm. in the summertime. There's no doubt about it. Because keep in mind, fescue doesn't actively grow in the summer. It goes what they call semi-dormant. It kind of just sits there. It actively grows in the, the fall, the winter, and the spring when it's cooler. So in the summertime, when we start going through these heat, uh, these droughts, and this, these high temperatures, water, 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 that's number one. Two is, I like to tell people, Veda, uh, to keep it cut high. Jim, you know that the, you know, the more leaf structure you have, uh, the better off that fescue is going to be. You can't go in there and scalp fescue like you can potentially Bermuda in the summertime. It is horrible for fescue. So keep that lawnmower as high as it'll go and cut it as high as it will go if you even need to cut it. Because there again, it doesn't really actively grow in the summer. You don't want it to get tall enough for it to fall over exactly. on itself. Exactly. You know, you don't want it to get so tall where if you get a rain, it beats it down, Jim, right. and just melts it out. I mean, you got to, it wants to have a good sturdy blade, uh, but usually around three inches, at least three inches, you'll be fine. And then another thing I like to tell people is to go out there, if not every two weeks, at least once a month, and spray that fescue with either liquid seaweed. Well, I like to spray, period, with liquid seaweed. Uh, that really helps the fescue beat summer stress. And I like to do it like every two weeks, twice a month. Just spray that fescue down. You can do it at a pretty heavy rate also. And then I was talking to a gentleman last year. Not only was he using the liquid seaweed, he was also using the humic acid, the liquid humic, humic, if you will. And he said, Kenny, I've never had my uh, fescue make it through the summer. And we all know what last summer was like. I mean, it was the desert. Uh, He said so, and it really made a difference in him Mm -hmm. keeping most of that fescue looking viable through the summer months. Right, when when all the (laughs) the liquid organic fertilizers first started coming out or we started really using them it was a thrill to find out there was something we could do on the fescue through the hot season to still keep it okay now that doesn't mean that you don't usually have to go out there and overseed your fescue every fall which is the best time or early spring fall being the best time because i don't care what you do i don't care how perfect you are in taking care of this fescue when it gets hot and dry in the summertime you're going to lose some of that fescue there's just no doubt about it so you go out there in the fall, you overseed it every year just to perpetuate what you already have. And that's the only way you can keep a full-looking fescue lawn. Because we all know that unlike Bermuda and Zoysia, what you see is what you got. It's not going to spread for you. Right. Also, you should get your seed from really an independent garden center that sells fescue because they're going to have the ones that really perform here. Versus some of the other mixes that you can yeah, find so around. Yeah, so many mixes I see in, in box stores, you know, they got one or two grasses in there that are good, but not probably, you know, you'll see some um, first, like Rebel, you'll see mm-hmm. Rebel, but there are other, there's Rebel 2, Rebel mm-hmm. 3, I think, oh, yeah. you know, that have been improved from that. And plus they'll put some things in there like hard fescue, which really doesn't yeah. do just great here. Mm. You know, and chewing's fescue, which mm-hmm. doesn't yeah. do real great here. Yeah. 
And they'll put creeping red fescue that doesn't creep and it's not red. Uh, doesn't really do and good here. It doesn't do well here. So, yeah. And some know. of the bluegrass is Jim. And you're right. I mean, but, you know, typically, you know, Veda, just like y'all, what we typically sell is uh, like a five-star or five-star extreme. And what they do, that is a blended fescue. But they go in there and they handpick the five hybrid fescues that, A, show wonderful growth habits. They show wonderful fungal inhibitors. You know, they're, they they all have their different strengths, okay? But the most important thing is they do try to find the ones that grow the best around here. Mm-hmm. We don't care what they do in Michigan. Yeah. Right, you know, they all right. do fine up there. Yeah, yeah, and and that's so true. Like Jim said, there's grasses and these mixes that you can find at box stores that don't even work. And yeah. then the last thing I'll say about fescue, mm-hmm. other than keeping it cut high, keeping it watered, spraying the liquid seaweed, uh, and then like that other gentleman was spraying humic acid on there also, is uh, fescue can also be prone to diseases because we're watering so much in the summertime to just to keep the stuff alive. And when it's really hot and it's humid and it's wet, well, we know that's a, a breeding ground, a petri dish for fungal, uh, for fungal growth. So if you start seeing some dieback in there, uh, you know, make sure you put a, think about putting a fungicide down on that fescue also. All right, we're going to run to the break, and we'll let Jim say what he was going to say. Me and you sorry, kept interrupting. Sorry, Jim. Yeah, I'm sorry, Jim. I'm still here. <laughs> in case Carol's worried, I'm still here. <laughs> All right, y'all, hang on. We're going to be right back. Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Give us a call, 260-5926. All right. So, um, you know, we were talking about soils and the health of the plants and all of that. And sometimes you don't know your plant is looking or is going to start declining because you're, you're just not sure what's happening. Sometimes it's just a simple fact is there's not enough life or microorganisms or fungus and all that good stuff in the soil to even break down whatever type of fertilizer you're putting down. So that's why we like to recommend adding compost to your soil occasionally, you know, just to put that life back in the soil so it can process the fertilizers and all of that to take it to the plant. See, I'm like you. I don't even want to have to think about that kind of stuff. I want to just do something that I know is going to help my plant. I don't even have to know why it's going to help it, you know. Mm -hmm. But you're right. You can feed dead soil all day long. So what? You haven't done anything. Right. All you've done is got some fertilizer and some dead soil. Yeah. So adding compost or or mycorrhiza or beneficial fungi, Jim, as you know, healthy soil, it really is the key. Um, I don't know of any way other way to put it. Mm-hmm. What was your fescue? What do you think about the fescue? Um, I think it can be a challenge to grow. Mm-hmm. You know, my preference is, <clears throat> is to let it be what it wants to be in the shade, and that's a... A shade yeah. garden. What do, oh, okay. I was say, <laughs> what do you mean by that, Jim? You know, well, I yeah. mean, when was the last time you went to the woods and saw grass? Yeah. I know it. Uh, I right. know it. That's a good point. You know, yeah. To be know, a shade garden. And yeah. pastures very seldom have trees in them. You know, right. just a couple the cows can lay under. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so and, which brings up another point. If you're sowing fescue for pasture that's going to be um, grazed, you want to make sure you get. You don't want to do something like Kentucky 31 fescue. Mm-hmm. You want to do something like fawn fescue that's endophyte-free. Endophytes mm-hmm. are fungus that just lives inside the grass. Um, but it, it will can make prov- those cows it'll pretty pre- darn sick. Yep. That's right. It can make them not gain weight. So 
you want to make sure that you plant fawn fescue if you're going to plant on grace. And, but, but, and Jim, I, I agree with what you're saying. Instead of trying to fight the battle, go with it, right? Yeah, that, that's my prayer. Even just mulch under trees looks okay, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, fine yeah, needles great. spread all across there. Uh, I'm, I'm not. I don't have a problem with that because right. you're going to have to work at keeping fescue. Mm-hmm. You are, but for grass people, people yes. that want yeah. grass, I mean, thank goodness there is a grass that will grow in that deeper shade. Where, like I said, where Bermuda mm-hmm. and Zoysia won't grow. I there do was, see some phenomenal yards. That oh, are, I d- there mm-hmm. was one I went to in Collierville uh, House. There, you know that my my house would have gone in the garage. Um, <laughs> you know. Um, <laughs> And they had a lot of pine trees and had fescue growing right up to the trunks of them. Mm-hmm. It was beautiful. But I talked to the guy who maintains yeah. it, and he said his fungicide bill alone right. was like $200 a month right? to be able to yeah. keep that up, mm-hmm. you know, because of the heat and the amount of water that they have to pump to <laughs> it to keep it up and going. They're just so prone in high humidity areas, like kind of yeah. like Memphis, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that... And, you know, you get fungal issues in them really quick. So uh, it, it's doable, yeah. but it's it, it is going it, it's going to be a lifelong adventure. Yeah, yeah so that's, like you can't say it in a better way. Yeah. You know, yeah. yeah. And we're talking about fescue, but just because of the summer care, but you can't sow fescue until fall. So don't think you're going to go out and do that. Well, Your I tell shade people, guard now, you're going to have to wait. Yeah, if you sow fescue today, it's going to germinate no problem. Oh, yeah. It's going to come on up. But how much of that are you going to be able to keep through the summer months is going to be minimum, okay? But like we're saying, I mean, if, if you've got fescue and you want to keep it looking as good as you possibly can, do those things that we talked about. It, they definitely help. But I also kind of agree with what Jim's saying, too, even though I'm a wonderful, I mean, I'm a grass guy, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, he is. And I want grass growing. I mean, if I had my preference, I wouldn't have any shrubs in the yard. The grass would grow right up to the foundation of the house, okay? And, um, but creating shade gardens, even like Jim said, I've seen, you know, just the the bed outlined, whether Mm -hmm. you, it's a trench around the bed or, or a weed eater line around the bed, and nothing but pine needles and mulch in there. It looks great. It's healthier for the tree, you know. Yeah, true. Um, you know, because chances are, if you've got grass up underneath there, you're going to have to do some type of weed um, program in there. Um, mm-hmm. Things like even pre-emerges, although they're really effective, they they work by pruning roots, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so long term in a shade garden, you can have some issues. Some detrimental effects with in the tree. That. Yes. Um, so it's just, you know, I, I'm, I, I, when I was young, I had to mow the lawn, you know, and we had yeah. a pretty big place, and it was a riding lawnmower, <laughs> uh-huh. finally. You know, it was a long time getting that. But I yes. swore I would never put a tree in the yard because my mother had them everywhere. <laughs> right. you, you know, you could not drive a straight line down anywhere, no matter how you tried. <laughs> there were just so many trees stuck in the yard. So, uh, I, you know, but now that I've gotten older and wiser, I, you know, I'm – and I went through the Kenneth phase, too, you know, mm-hmm. where I would mow the front yard three times to get the tracks just right, <laughs> make them diamond-shaped like a baseball field. It's got to be straight, Jim. Yeah. Yes. And then sometimes I'd go out there with a broom and just rake them all out so that yeah. there's no lines uh-huh. in them, you know. And people go, how does he do that? Yeah. <laughs> so, just I'm, I'm an artist. Yeah. Yeah. They don't see him up there. He don't, they don't see him out there at midnight right. you know, yeah. with that broom in his hand. But now it's over, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was thinking the same thing, too. When I grew up, it was like 10 acres 
pastures and most of it was uh, woods and trees, but there was a pasture and then there was like, mm. oh, it was probably half an acre of Bermuda lawn. Yeah. Dad did put the urea on it. Yeah. That's oh, straight man. urea. And I was the one that got to mow with the riding lawnmower, you know, well, and I cu- cut it in a circle. Yeah. Of all Saturday, just in a circle. Just keep going around. But the the tree but the thing is is like you can do something like that in your yard. You can have your landscaped area, your little wooded area, and a little patch of grass. Mm-hmm. You know, I like a little bit of grass, but I feel like your mm-hmm. landscape should be much more than all lawn just because it's um expensive, you know, for one, uses a lot of water, a lot of fertilizer. Doesn't add diversity, doesn't mm-hmm. attract all the different types <coughs> of good things for diversity, and you're just looking at one thing. But I mean, I'm like Jim, when I first wanted to um, experiment with all organic, I did my lawn all organic, mm-hmm. and I got into it so much. Mm-hmm. Like you were saying, I was actually edging and mowing this way and mowing mm-hmm. that way and just trying to make it all nice and perfect. And I really enjoyed it, but the back was a whole different environment. Yeah, and yeah. also, you know, we've been talking about, you know, the care of fescue. There's also the care of Bermuda and zoysia, which is actively mm-hmm. growing now. And it's kind of the same theory, if you will. You still want to keep a pH between 6.2, being ideal, okay? So it never hurts to get the pH checked from time to time, and that will let you know if you need to put lime down or not. So just always try to keep that pH where it needs to be. And then, of course, feeding. You mentioned urea a while ago, Veda. Uh, you know, usually you're feeding with a high nitrate type fertilizer generally speaking right. if you're using a man-made fertilizer like a 2404 mm-hmm. but the beauty of most of these lawn foods that do have a high nitrate like 24 percent just a very small portion right. of that nitrogen is a quick release yeah because i'm not because i was laughing about the fact that we used the <laughs> urea way back then because i'm not saying do that now we're, we're learning a little differently right but but even the high nitrate lawn foods typically are more of a slow release because they have that mm-hmm. coated nitrogen in there uh, and it's good to feed, of course, your Bermuda and zoysia lawns through the growing season. And then the adequate amount of moisture out there also. You can't just not water Bermuda and zoysia. Remember last year, Bermuda and zoysia, they were going dormant mm-hmm. in the summertime because it was so hot and dry. Yeah. Remember that? right, yeah. So it's kind of the same principles, just at different times. And it's going to get drier. Yes. This year? Next couple of years. Now, why do you say that? Because we've been full of all good news this morning. Go ahead, Jim. <laughs> El Nino is forming faster and stronger than oh. it has in recorded history. I had all my notes to ask you about that. It's um, which is the currents across the you know the the Pacific. Pacific. Mm-hmm. Plus, there's a warm area up near uh, Alaska, and the currents running from through the Atlantic south to north are warmer than usual. And that has a, de- a direct effect on our weather. All, on the weather, which you know typically means that in right where we are, it's going to be a little cooler but much drier. I can live with that. Okay. Uh, along the coast, it's, it's going to be one of those years, I think, this winter where we get cold weather in Jackson, Mississippi, gets snow. That is okay? crazy. I know. Yeah. So you're um, saying closer to the coast. It's going to be wetter. Oh, so uh, <clears throat> you know, it's uh, it's it's not looking good. This but, this this could you know typically El Nino lasts for two to three years. But this is not something that's new, Jim. I mean, because we always go through different weather. We do. It's yeah. just patterns. This one is earlier, stronger mm. than anything that's been recorded so far. 
So I think it will be an interesting weather pattern across the, the next United two or States. three years just to see how dry it might be in the summertime, yeah. Jim. Well, you know, it's like we'll and go through a, a mm. lovely, a, ba- a bad patch in weather, and <clears throat> then I'll look the history up. And it's happened before. Oh, yeah. You know, and but everybody's panicking, thinking this is the end when it's just the movement of the way the whole world works, you know, all, all our weather. Well, and I mean, because like it was like, oh my gosh, we're hitting records. And then know, I look it, back in a 1927. You see all this about we're so much warmer than we were 40 years ago. Right. But if you go back further and take all of this on average, mm-hmm. we're just like less than a degree of warmer than normal. Right, you right. know, so it's really not, um, it's not something to panic over just yet. And think of it this way, that if the oceans rise, you won't have to drive as far to the beach. I'm liking that. Yeah. We will be right back to talk more about gardening. (laughs) Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Give us a call, 901-260-5926. Either we're really boring and on the wrong topics, or we're so informative today, but everybody's kind of quiet out there in our radio land, as yeah. they say. But, of course, we know Let a lot us of people know. like to listen to podcasts. But talking about all this lawn and grass and everything, you know one thing I like under the trees that almost looks like a lawn is the mondo grass, not the dwarf, but the regular. Or the monkey grass. It's just, it's just so flowy. You know, it looks so the ones with the thin blade. Well, see, but I just like, as much like the dwarf mondo under the trees. Mm-hmm. You know, I know that's yeah, pretty just, too. You, know, you better inherit something to be able to plant it all up underneath there. Oh, I know. I mean, and uh, the, yeah. and the d- big difference is when you're planting ground covers, like they just talking about regular mondo, which is taller, thinner blade, or dwarf mondo, or any other ground cover, you're buying individual plants. Mm-hmm. Okay, and it takes quite a few of those individual plants. To fill a big area. Mm-hmm. Well, think about this. You just get your tree planted and go ahead and put a couple of flats of Mondo in, around the tree already. Right. Go ahead and start that way. And every year as the tree grows. And expands. Yeah, your... just another flat or two, another flat or two. That's the only way mm-hmm. I could see I could do it personally as a homeowner on budget and time. Because I've seen big swaths <clears throat> of that Mondo <clears throat> grass under trees. And I mean... <clears throat> I know that could be like 20 flats. How much is a flat now, you know? Oh, oh $70 a flat, yeah, you know? Yeah, and then times 20 flats. So maybe start, if you're if you're going to work into that direction, just start as a tree's young and expand with it. But if you've got a big section right now to cover, mm, well, what would you do? English but, ivy, but then, you know, it's it climbs up stuff. It could. But get, you could keep it maintained. I mean, ground covers do what they're supposed to do. I mean, typically you see ground covers growing a lot of times where other things just don't want to grow. And we know also people don't think of ground covers mm. as the fact that it doesn't have to just be mondo grass, mazis, vinca vine. It can right. be a low-growing juniper. Right. It could be daylilies even. It could be low-growing distilliums. Yeah. You know, I mean, if people are still planting distilliums after what happened mm-hmm. <laughs> last winter, and I think people are, you know, I'm yeah. getting this question also, you know, all the things that we had problems with. Uh, clieras and camellias and distilliums and on and on and on, uh, you know, because distillium is one of those newer shrubs that was replacing a lot of the other shrubs that we're just so used to seeing. You know, there were people that were planting distillium instead of boxwoods. There were people that were planting distillium, distilliums instead of auto-looking laurels, right, for example. Right. 
And there were a lot of distilliums being planted out there where here comes old Mr. Mean Winter this last year and it just took them out, right? And though I had a lady come into the garden center just the other day and saying she is seeing a little bit of growth on some distilliums, which is the first thing I've heard on distillium this year. But I guess my point is, what I'm trying to make is, I still think just because of the damage we saw last winter, that people are going to give them another chance. Mm-hmm. Now, if we had a winter like this the next five years, and things maybe were dying out for five years it. in a row, then no, count me out, right? Kind of maybe like think, the Indian Jim, Hawthorns. This is the third year. Well, I mean, but yeah. don't you think that people are still going to plant some of these plants that some of them that yes. were completely killed out, even uh, cryptomeria? Yes, because we, you know... <clears throat> There's so many huge ones that have been around for 50 years or more. My point. Yeah, and so this is not likely to happen again, although it could. It could. But there are some plants like, you know, I would not do a hedgerow of Indian hawthorn. Right. You know, now if you've got a place for two or three, I think that's fine, you know, but realize they may get zapped. But I wouldn't spend big dollars putting in a whole row of those. I'm not and haven't ever been a real big fan of distillium. So, you know, that's probably something I wouldn't, you know, but I wouldn't hesitate to put half a dozen gardenias back in, mm-hmm. you know, because, mm-hmm. you know, this just happens sometimes. Yeah. Uh, but they grow so fast and they're relatively inexpensive. So, uh, yeah, there's some plants I probably just wouldn't do again. Yeah. You know, I'm not, I've never been a big fan of the, the true dwarf loripedalums. Mm-hmm. Right. The agreed. stems are so thin that mm-hmm. most winters they get some burn in them. They do. Yeah, so, you know, the taller ones are great, um, but the the real low ones, I don't have much faith yeah. in. I like those in containers. They look pretty, like they are, annual containers. Yeah, yeah. They, yeah. they give you good color that way, you know. And, and so many people put them where they, they're either on the east or the west side of the house, and they don't get as much full sun as they really do, and so you don't get that purple color. Right, to, you <laughs> right. Know. You could have taken, you're taking away one of the attributes of right. the plant itself just because it wasn't getting enough sun. Yeah. Right. So the, um, yeah, I know it's kind of, yeah, it is, you know, but, but, you know, one of the still, one of the things to me, the biggest hit, uh, were the cryptomeria, you know, the, the evergreen cedar looking mm-hmm. trees okay. that, and I, I mean, I've talked to so many people that had, I mean, 10, 15, 12, cryptomeria on their property Mm -hmm. uh, that they've had you know i've talked to to a lady the other day they just had theirs cut down Uh, and these were you know nice trunk sized cryptomeria Uh, and she said you know i just we can't wait any longer we know we just went ahead and got these things taken down because there is some people are still in their mind hoping Mm -hmm. uh, that who knows if they might flush back out now the ones that i'm i'm seeing you know it looks like hardly nobody's taking them down but can you imagine there's probably not enough landscapers out there now to get us caught up (laughs) this year getting all those big trees down but some people are living uh, leaving them just you know for the if um, they haven't dropped their needles they're still a screen screen. (laughs) But, but, but you could actually leave those and then plant you another row so maybe by the time those composted down, your other row would be tall enough well, to keep the screen. But well, my big thing also is on most shrubs that, let's say if I didn't want to plant distillium or if I didn't want to replant gardenias, there's, there's usually another shrub that would take its place, right. okay? All right, when it comes to cryptomeria, though, I mean, there's not uh-uh. really another 
tree that really takes its place. I mean, we don't want to go back to Leland Cypress, do we? No. You know, for all the, Jim, the right mm-hmm. reasons. I mean, do we want to go to pine trees? No. no. Well, so, there are some good options that we don't grow here. Um, that we could it, grow here? Yes. Grow. You know, like um, Austrian pine. Beautiful mm-hmm. pine tree. Stays full from the ground up. Why do we not, Mr. Jim? Uh, we used oh, to. 20 uh-huh. years Cartwright Nursery out in Collierville mm-hmm. used to grow them, and we yeah. used a good many of them then. Okay. Were we um, getting them for live Christmas trees, too, the we, ball and burlaps? Uh, right. Yeah. But they're, uh, you just don't see anybody growing them. They're not fast growers. Uh, so you just don't see a lot of them out there. Um, but there there are some other evergreens that... I mean, uh, I guess there's red cedars yeah. and... Even Japanese black pines. You know, mm-hmm. one of the... Yeah. One of the prettiest ones mm-hmm. I ever saw was at a yard where they let it get up, I don't know, 12, 15 feet. They knocked the top out of mm. it. And so it just started spreading across the ground and filled up. And it was... It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And so, it, so it, it might like it should have been a tree. So you're saying it might come to that to where, because like I said, so many other things you can just plop another plant in there that looks very similar to the one that you don't want to ever plant again. But I was thinking the other day, there's other than what Jim just mentioned, mm-hmm. you know, I, I couldn't think of a substitute for Same. a cryptomeria. Same. And I'm thinking, yeah. so I really think for all the right reasons, of course, that people are going to keep planting those. Now, I don't know if they're going to plant 20 in a row like they had been doing to have that beautiful. Yeah, see, that's what we recommend. or not recommend. That's what we've been saying for years and years is don't plant one of everything because if, I mean. If something happens, they, the uh, you whole, lose them all. Right. But on the <laughs> other hand, what would you plant if you didn't plant a row of the cryptomeria? I don't know. I think the jury is still out. I, I love the, the, the plant. I really do. I think they're wonderful. Um, they're faster growing like than some of the other things like like Jim was just talking about. Oh, we have so many other you know things like um, and there's hollies and stuff like the that. The hollies, yeah. East Palatka or um, Greenleaf Holly, yeah. those are they get very tall. Yeah, um, beautiful berries are yeah. you know that you won't really our, have to worry about. And right. the thing was, we uh, in Memphis, especially since there's so many hollies, that that was another reason why the cryptomeria was popular. Yeah, different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, if you happen to go out to the Botanic Garden, look at the latifolia hollies out there. Mm. That was the thing that M- Michael Durr thought was the best plant on their property. And they were put in back in the 1950s. I and mean. they're still there. So, And they are. And they're, they're beautiful. Got big leaves on them. I mean, kind of from a distance, you might think they're a magnolia. They've got mm-hmm. really big leaves. Uh, but they're, um, they're, they're gorgeous. I do like that one. I forget yeah. about that one. And it seems like I don't ever see it. I don't see it a yeah. whole bunch. Of and there are a lot of latifolia hybrids out there now that, mm-hmm. that I've seen on the market. Um, there were some that um, uh, the Forest Hill, not Forest Hill, uh, Green Forest Nursery down in Louisiana was offering up, up in here. And, and they've got some really unique big hollies that will fill the bill of those type things. So. I can hear Veda's chair over here. Oh, just, I'm shaking because yeah. I'm just shaking. I know. My what leg. about the like the Mary Nell hollies that took a beating this past winter? Now we're starting to see those flush back out. Right. But you're seeing the latifolias and those big they, leaves. They, did, uh, they, they were, didn't appear to they be They made hurt. it through it. Not a problem. Yeah. yeah. All right. Let's go to a break. Give us a call 901-260-5926 or post your question on our Facebook Live group. <laughs> Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to the second hour of Mid-South Gardening. I'm Vader with Palladio. Yeah, and I'm Kenneth with Danvers Garden Centers. And I'm Jim. 
And Jim, but you've got a pretty neat Facebook page, I'm telling you. Yes, been very successful with it and pleased that so many people enjoy it. And this, and, and when did you think of doing this? Well, I started this um, in because 2019, I believe it was, um, about a year before we started here at KWAM. Yeah. Um, you know, because after I retired, um, I had all this stuff stuffed in my head. I, You know, years ago, I had pretty much a photographic memory. I could remember things, and I still remember a lot of things from back then, but my short-term memory now is, you know, yeah. I, I can't look at a, a a number and then remember it to go when I get to the computer. I you're saying, I, wanna, so you're saying I want to create a page. I want where I could share the information that I've gained through the years. Yes. So um, there were about 11 of us that started, and uh, and it just started exploding, and, and now we're up. I just I think we were seven or eight members short of 9,500. And let me say this also, because I get on there and I'll look around from time to time. I never have time to really do it like I wanted to or want to. But people will submit pictures and questions. And, and of course, there's comments and everything else. But let's say if if you see a question being asked, backed up with a picture, there are a lot of people that jump on board and Mm -hmm. answer that question. They do. Because with so many members now being part of that, Mm -hmm. we've all had a problem. And we've all been through it, right? Well, it so, goes to show how many ways there are to fix a problem. Exactly, is <laughs> that's my point. Yeah. So that's that's pretty darn neat. I'm telling you. So, Jim, I uh, liked all the Japanese beetle posts. Yes. Yeah. Now it seems that the I think the most that I saw were people putting, uh, shaking off the Japanese beetles and into buckets of soapy water. Yeah, you lots go out there early people. morning when they're dumb and yeah, clumsy. Lots yeah. of people do that. And we've had a run on people showing buckets full of dead slugs yeah. and beer. Yeah, oh, that <laughs> one was so gross. It's worth bragging over. I, I know. You're proud If, if we had that. a backer, we'd offer some prizes. <laughs> 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 oh, yeah. well, see, when, then I, I saw some people recommended the uh, Japanese beetles that Captain Jack's dead bug brew. Uh-huh. Had some people recommend some biological things. Um, Anything some of the other sprays the and stuff that we've talked about earlier, but there's a shows that there's just a wide range of, of products or, or uh, processes that, that would kill work. Japanese yeah. beetles. And Wendy uh, Johnson, she texted in on the Mighty 990 Facebook page. She said, how often should I spray to prevent bagworms? That's a great question because every year, especially when it starts getting hot and dry, it seems like we get bagworms on the arbovitas and all the other little evergreens out there. And it's horrible because a lot of times you don't know you got them till. <laughs> Half the thing is just gone, you know. But you can be proactive and spray, uh, and Jim, anything that's got bagworms on the label, whether mm-hmm. it's spinosad beta that you just mentioned, the Captain Jack's dead yeah. bug brew, which is spinosad, and then BT and some of these other ones. Uh, it, it just depends on what you're using. So if you are using just a typical insecticide, Wendy, and you want to, there again, be proactive. Uh, I'd go out there, what, Jim, every 10 days, two weeks. Yeah, depending uh, on what you're using. And, and just... If you're using acephate, a systemic, you know, you could go, you probably can go three weeks and maybe four, yeah. you know, if it's not raining. Yeah. Um, but if with other things, two yeah. weeks or now if you're using BT after a rain, <laughs> yeah. okay, you got to redo it. Okay, if it's every three days. Yeah, yeah. so, but, yeah. The, and, and let me ask you this. What are your thoughts about imidacloprid and bagworm? Jim, you know, it's one of those things where I've always believed like you have to some extent that imidacloroprid is just not that good for caterpillars, Mm -hmm. okay? 
And really, that was the information that I was reading years ago. Maybe not good to like control them. Control that's, that's what I control yeah. them. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, and it's not on any label that I can find. Yeah, it's 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 crazy. And I've and I've looked it up. Um, so I, I, I think there are so many other insecticides out there that would be much better in but, my opinion, than the imidacloprid for bagworms. I have heard even some UT professors recommend imidacloprid for bagworms. Well, I need to do some more research and, then. Yeah, but I'm not sure that they're, they're telling the entire story. Yeah. I have found one article uh, that says that it does work on caterpillars if they're very small. Mm. Well, but you can't count on that, though. That's it. Yeah. That's it. You know, if, if they're very, very young, it will control them. But if they've gotten much age on them, that it doesn't control them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, my opinion is that use something else. Okay. Because yeah. it's I mean, not so many likely other things to get yeah. you the results that you want. That will control um, bagworms. And, and BT, which is bacillus. Uh, you can use that every two or three days. I mean, it's it's just a benign or uh, what fung uh, or I guess it's, it's it's a fungus. Well, no, it's a bacteria. Uh, I'm sorry, yeah. it's bacteria. Um, so you can't overdo that. The acephate, like you, Jim, like you said, the uh, the systemic uh, bonine systemic insect spray that's got acephate, which is old fashioned orthene. You can do that every two or three weeks, like you said. So yeah, it just depends on what you're using, Wendy. Yeah. All right, let's go to Susan calling from Cordova. Good morning, Susan. You're in the Mid-South Garden. Good morning. Good hey, morning. I'm hey, Susan. Good morning to you. Good morning. Um, I have a question. Do uh, you remember a few years back a uh, virus that um, affected a lot of roses? Oh, yeah. Rose rosette. Still doing it. It is. Okay. It is. We have one that survived, but now I'm seeing... Um, evidence of that because the other ones that we had to just pull out of the rose garden um became very spiny Mm -hmm, that's right and now i've noticed the one that we have left there are some um stems that are normal and other stems are very spiny so i've been selectively pruning the real spiny ones should i my husband says we've lost the rose but i thought i'd call in and check with you well your husband is right. Mm. <laughs> hate to say it, I, but... I'm, you, know, you don't get to say that very often. Uh, but in this case, yes, the virus is in the plant. Okay, so you're you're not going to be able to cut it out. Um, so it's it's we only oil or do something. There, there isn't anything you can do. The best thing for no. you to do is remove it. Or not plant knockouts. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and re, if you choose to replant, you'll have better luck with hybrid teas because they, they're not as prone to the mites because they don't grow so thick. Um, but if if you want to put put them in there, you know, replant the knockouts, you have to remember that you caught it from somebody upwind from you. Right. Oh. And if it's still there, you're going to get it again. Okay. Ah. Uh. Okay. So I would I would remove it and, you know, look at something else or be able to protect it from the wind. Plant it right up next to a, a, a north-south fence uh, so that it's, it, it's blocked from the wind. Uh, but, I, you know, my preference would be just don't replant roses. 
<laughs> but it gotta have a rose. And good, I have, have good air circulation around yeah. them will help yes, with we them. That yeah, we have that. But when you plant a shrub rose like knockouts that everybody likes because they bloom so proficiently, mm-hmm. it's like it's like a little catcher's mitt. Mm-hmm. Okay, oh, these mice okay. are blown in; they land on it and. They they have so many tips, and that's where the mites Uh-oh. like to to feed right at yeah. the the bud and just barely below it. So yeah. you know, if if you replant one every time you get that flush of of, of flowers, cut right afterwards, cut it back twelve inches. Mm-hmm. Okay, that way you're likely to remove any mites that have got on there before the and pass the disease before it gets down into the plant. Mm-hmm. So it's on the rose itself. On the flower part. Yeah, that's where they yeah. like to feed. On okay. the top part, Jim, on the new, new right. growth. Yeah. And it doesn't mean they can't get on the other ones, but they usually, when they land on a plant, they move to the to the tallest part of the rose. Oh, that makes sense. Now, if we want to plant, uh, okay, let's say we do, th- this, this rose is gone. Yeah. Yes. Okay. If we want to plant other roses, any recommendations? Well, put um, we're going to put you on hold, Susan, and get to you right after this break. And Danny, you hang on. We'll get to you as well. We will be right back after these messages. Rose, rose, that. The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to the third hour of Mid-South Gardening. Glad you can join us today on Veda with Palladio. Yeah, and I'm Kenneth. So Danny and Susan, you'll hang on two seconds, but I'm Kenneth with Dan West Garden Centers. Mm -hmm. Oh, hey, I am, uh, I'm Joe Crowder, retired nurseryman and administrator of our Facebook group. All right, let's just one really oh, nice yeah. guy. Too. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, super, super yeah. nice Mr. guy. Mr. Grumpy. No, you know what, Jim? I haven't heard Mr. Grumpy in forever. Yeah, I'm not as grumpy now. Well, I'm that's because you have all new parts oh, in your body. Oh, it's mostly medication. Yeah, right. Okay, let's go back to Susan from uh, Cordova. You still had a question on, we were on the roses, right? Yes, if I, if I do want to plant, roses which i might not but mm-hmm. i like them same what yeah <laughs> well okay you'll have le- like i say you'll have less trouble with traditional cut rose roses instead of the shrub roses hybrid teas um floribundas grandiflorias because they're just not as thick they're too. not as thick if you're pruning properly you're getting you know half a dozen stems or so up tall and wind can move through them very easily mm-hmm. So you'll have less issues with those. Um, if you absolutely want to go back with shrub roses, the, the two things you need to do is try to protect them from southwest winds. Okay, yeah, that's, I, I may not go back to shrubs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So plant hybrid teas, you know. And again, you, you want to cut the roses after they've been, you've had that really pretty flower. Cut back 10, yeah. 12 inches because the lower you cut, the better break you get and the better flower you're going to get at when it ah. re-sprouts. So by cutting back hard, you remove any possible mite on there, and you can keep them healthy if you just do that, do your pruning religiously. Mm. Okay, I can do that. So cut back 10 to 12 inches after they bloom. Right. 
after every set of blooms, yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. All righty. Well, well, thank you, because yeah. I want long-stem roses, and these would give me long-stem Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really these are, are definitely your long-stem roses, yeah, absolutely. that's what you need. Mm-hmm. All right. Thank All right, you. Susan, thank so you much. so much for the call. And, you know, the thank drift you. roses, the grace and grift, grit roses, I've Thanks, got Susan. one that's, like, humongous. It's white. I mean, it's just for three years, just foliferous. It's like a dwarf. It's like a dwarf knockout. It's a dwarf, and it's uh, right now dwarf. uh, Well, how tall was it? Up to my waist. So four, three, four feet. (laughs) Maybe not four feet. I'm not that tall. But yeah, some of those those small roses do fantastic. Let's go to Danny. Good morning, Danny. Calling from Fairhope, Alabama. Thanks for the call. Hello. Good morning. Hey, Hey, Danny. Thanks for holding on. Absolutely. Appreciate you hanging on, buddy. No problem. Okay, uh, Kenneth, I have a question for you because you and I know each other. How's that? I used to be your accountant for several years. <laughs> Danny, God dang it. I hope How that you're you doing? doing well. Danny, I, I'm not going to say your last, well, I can say your last name. Uh, Danny Snow, you're, you're a wonderful human being. And if I don't get a chance to see you, at least I get a chance to hear from you. <laughs> Well, as usual, I need your help. Yes, sir. And I have no idea what I am doing. Uh, we have a relatively new home, mm. and we have shrubs that are, uh, I used the app on my phone, mm. and it said they are a member of the Dicot family. That's all I know, okay? Uh, they are broad, <laughs> green-leafed. That's a broad group, I know. Yeah, it means they're not a grass. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So uh, that so narrows it down, Danny. <laughs> no, it's okay, not grass. It does. It's, it's planted in the dirt, so that helps. Yes. Um, okay, so they are covered, and it started uh, last summer, and it has resurfaced uh, here in the springtime. Two problems. One, mold all over the leaves. All of them. Yeah. And you, uh, the last person advised me to spray the leaves with soapy water mm-hmm. and then spray it off. <laughs> the problem mm-hmm. is you can't get underneath the leaves. You can't get back. They're very thick. You can't get back in there to spray it. That's right. Uh, so, yes, I can get the uh, a lot of it off that way. Yeah. But then <clears throat> 50% of it is still there and it comes back. And so that's problem number. Yes. And what? you said mold, Danny. Uh, do you mean like a black sooty mold? Yep. Okay. Yep. 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 That's exactly what it is. And then to add on, to pile on to it, aphids mm-hmm. are all over them. Yeah. Let me say and this. Yeah. I mean, you're you're right. I mean, the reason that anyone gets uh, a black mold called sooty mold is because they're having an insect problem. Okay. And what I mean by that uh-huh. is. Uh, crepe myrtle bark scale and surely aphids they secrete this real sticky secretion called honeydew and danny anything and everything that this honeydew gets on you can get this black sooty mold to start growing on that secretion i I think i was daydreaming for a minute what plant is it on well it was the dicot that we weren't sure about the show let me ask you this is it planted under something Mm. Um, no, no, it's not under anything. No crepe myrtles or anything above it. Or nope. tulip poplars. Yeah. Okay. 
So no, nothing. Yeah. yeah. So really, the problem is it are the aphids because if you get rid of the aphids, you get rid of the secretion that they're giving off, which is honeydew, and you get rid of the honeydew that the sooty mold is growing on. So it all starts with the insects, Danny. Uh, okay. So I would go out there with just a uh, a broad spectrum insecticide, whether it's a permethrin type product that's very broad spectrum. Uh, whether it's the imidacloripid type product. I mean, anything that's got aphids on the label, really, I should say. Go out there, Danny, give those things a good spray and come back in about 10 days, two weeks, and you make sure you spray again because aphids are kind of like spider mice. They reproduce really (laughs) fast, I'm telling you. So you want to spray, yeah, you want to spray two or three times, about 10 days, two weeks apart. And I promise you, you get rid of the aphids, the city mold, uh, the city mood, the city mold is not going to be a problem. <laughs> All right, super. Yeah, there are on one side of the house. There are just uh, there probably one to three, probably at least six of these shrubs that are at least shoulder high. Yeah. You walk through there, and when the aphids fly out, yeah. it looks like it's snowing. Yeah, oh, the and, white fly, and they could or have would white that be fly the white there. fly? Yeah, if it's if you're walking by and it looks like it's snowing, that's definitely white flies. Well, now I wonder, yeah. Danny, if these shrubs that you have, I wonder if they're more susceptible to those types mm-hmm. of insects. You know, like I mean, white fly love poinsettias, for example. Yeah. I'm not yeah. saying you have poinsettias yeah. out there, but I'm saying some shrubs are more susceptible to certain insects. But the bottom line is you got to get out there and control these insects. Uh, and let me say this real quick also with that black sooty mold. Sooty mold is not really hurting the plant. It makes them look horrible, Danny. But mm-hmm. if you kill the insects, eventually that sooty mold will dry up and just dissipate. It will go away on its own. It might take a whole growing season for that to happen, but the sooty mold is superficial. Yeah. It's not really detrimental. It just yeah. it okay. blocks the photosynthesis somewhat. So f- that's why we like to do the fertilization as well to, um, you know, give it some extra energy to pull itself out. And I would say more soil amendment than fertilization, mm-hmm. like your compost, like the earth mix or um, mm-hmm. what's the other? Oh, the cotton, nature. Burb, the yeah. cotton blend. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so adding a little compost around the root zone of these plants, feeding, feeding them a little bit, Danny. And, of course, watering as needed to get them as strong and healthy as you possibly can. And then spraying, like we said, with just a good broad-spectrum insecticide, you'll be fine, Danny. Okay. All right. Well, I will call you back in a few months after I've killed these shrubs mm-hmm. and uh, tell you what I replace them. <laughs> right, right. That's what we do next. Well, Danny, we love you to death, but if you get a chance, come see us. Will do. Talk to you later. Great right. talking with you. Thank you, Thanks, buddy. Danny. Bye. Thanks for the call. Let's run to a break really quick. We'll take some more callers at 901-260-5926. Good morning, gardeners. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad y'all have been with us today. We are here in the studio live, and we are here at 6 a.m. live. Yeah. Y'all can listen to our podcast and catch all of our show. Um, and um, you can post questions on Facebook Live right now, and you can participate on the uh, Facebook page. Jim's administrator of uh, Mid South Gardening USD. Not does it say USDA zone? It says USDA zone <laughs> six, seven, and eight. One of these days, we we're going to get that. Still don't have it. <laughs> no. But yeah, so you can get in touch with us all kinds of ways. You can see me at Plotio, G- uh, Kenneth at Dan West, mm-hmm. Jim. You can catch him at all kinds of garden centers and talks and events and everything. 
So um, there's always information out there. And also there's so many things going on. There's a Cooper Young Garden Walk is going on. You can go to their site and find out about it. Master Gardeners have stuff. And then Jim's has some information on some of the talks going yeah. on. <clears throat> the one coming up this, this coming Tuesday night, I think, uh, is a good opportunity for you to, to learn some really cool stuff about doing some uh, innovative and rich plantings is, uh, I think, part of the title. Yeah. Uh, Claudia West, who is a, a well-known uh, landscape architect, designer sort of thing, uh, works for one of the top companies in the country. But anyway, she has been hired by um, Botanic Garden to help uh, rejuvenate the arboretum. And uh, mm-hmm. so uh, she's here in town, going to be talking Tuesday night. It just cost 10 bucks. I think that's pretty cheap to yeah. listen to a quality yeah. speaker, uh, someone of this caliber. Uh, anyway, but there's going to be a tour of the garden between five and six to show some of the things that uh, that she's bringing to the garden, and then she's going to be speaking at six thirty. Uh, like I said, it's just ten bucks. I think you know you can. I think you can buy your tickets online, and you or you can um, you can buy them at the door. I think. And Jim, uh, is she going to be hired full time? You think? No, or is she no, coming she's, in just she's for a that? Consultant. Yeah. Okay. She's a consultant to help design and get the garden moving in the right direction. Okay. You know, we have such opportunities out there, you know, just from the little time that I worked there, there's yeah. uh, still a lot of the area that could be, um, be used, um, in for education purposes. So anyway, she's going to be speaking Tuesday night. Hope you get to see there. And then, uh, June 21st, uh, at Dixon, their Munch and Learn program. I'm going to be speaking about mm-hmm. some of the unusual perennials, some new stuff, uh, that you can actually find. Um, so, it's just an hour-long program. Bring your your bag lunch with you and sit down, and we'll just chat for an hour. Right? And, and these are going to be plants, Jim, that are going to be available next year to well, a lot of we're, people? We're going to be talking about some that, are, that should be – well, of course, it, it is late in the season now. Okay? Exactly. So, but things that were available this year. Good. And, uh, you know, if they prove to be good plants, they'll be back next year. Mm-hmm. So, um, good, you know. You know, one thing about this month is like when the perennials show out, you find really good, pretty perennials at the garden centers that they're all doing their blooming. And so you can really see what color you want. But June always makes me think of perennial month. And I guess I think isn't it called pollinator month also, maybe because the perennials are doing blooming so beautifully that it just really helps out the pollinators. But, I mean, there's so so many beautiful perennials like, I mean, we always say, you know, coneflower and gallardia. We never talk about the rest in sage that much, but that's mm-hmm. a beautiful perennial. It is, you know. It's, uh, Tough. And there are yeah. some that don't get so dang big, too. Yeah. So, like the Santa Barbara. I yeah. think it's a lower or yeah. shorter variety. Yeah. Some of them just really get huge. Yeah, so, yeah uh, and they're pretty planted. You know, perennials look so much just they really show out when you plant them in mass, mm-hmm. like threes and fives. Um, some doesn't have to be twenty when right. you say mass. Yeah. It can be three, three, five, seven, yeah, whatever. Right, like that, because that way you can see, uh, enjoy the perennial much better than one of everything. Because mm-hmm. then it gets so busy, you're really not taking in the beauty of it. So it is uh, better threes and fives, or you know, if it's one good big perennial, then maybe one. Uh, oh, the red hot poker. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't plant that, and that's a great no, one. No, this year mine was spectacular. It's had 25 mm-hmm. blooms on it. Good grief. Oh, it's been gorgeous. You know, yeah. And that's the beauty yeah. of a perennial is we know they'll come back every year for you, typically speaking. In fact, a lot of them even spread and multiply for you. 
The only drawback is, if there is one, is they don't bloom maybe every day mm-hmm. like an annual. But that's why you see so many lawns that have both. Mm-hmm. Annuals yeah. and perennials, because the perennials are kind of like the backbone of your color. Yeah. They're yeah. going to come back every year. Now, when I do d- perennial designs, I still leave pockets for annuals. Uh, yes. Oh, yeah, that's that's mm-hmm. important to get some season-long color. Yeah. yeah. And then, I mean, herbs, too, mixed in and, and are great. Let me say this real quick also, is there are some people that will even plant herbs, for example. Mm-hmm. I've seen germander being planted yeah. as a border. But I had a George lady, Washington used that as a knot garden. There you go. Because it helps control gout. And I, <laughs> That's what I read. I had yeah. a lady come into the garden center yesterday, Veda and Jim, and I told her she wanted to plant some mint, and this is a couple years ago, and I said, absolutely, but just be careful, you know, because mint likes to move around, and typically a lot of times, you know, you'll plant mint in containers to keep that from happening. So she said, Kenny, I took this mint home, and she showed me a picture of a bed, <laughs> That was full, completely full of mint. Like a ground cover. Yeah. Well, and this was mint was getting a little taller. Oh, yes, it does. And uh, she was like, you know, I, I heard what you said a couple years ago, and I just didn't realize, mm-hmm. okay, that really can happen. Yeah. So now she's going to go out there and wet this bed down and just start yanking this mint out of right. this bed. So I'm just saying, be careful because... Not only do some herbs do that, but some perennials yeah, do that also. True. Yeah, you know, I, I like uh, I like mint, you know, particularly because we, mm-hmm. we we grow some for Kentucky Derby Day, you know, so have yeah. our mint julep. There you go. Yep. And um, but I, I learned that one, if you plant it in some shade, it doesn't flower near as much. Mm. So that's a good that's a help. And then when it flowers, uh, as it begins to get spent, just pit, you're not going to use the flowers anyway. Pinch exactly. them out, mm-hmm. You know, and you'll have whole less whole lot less trouble with it spreading all yeah. around the garden. So, uh, and, yeah. and mine has pretty much confi- confined itself to about a six-foot area for mm-hmm. eight years. Okay, yeah. there you years. go. It's yeah. been there, you know. Well, so. it was like back in the 70s, mom planted cement by the AC unit, and it never spread because when it got past that little moist area, it was into the drier part of the yard that you know, they never watered, mm-hmm. and so the mint just stayed right there. And you grew it for your mint juleps, and it was like our Saturday night treat. Yeah. Mom would make sweet tea, yeah. and mm-hmm. we could run out to the little area and pick out the spearmint. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, and I want to grow some in a mm-hmm. container, but I know I've probably got to water twice as much. And then, you know, the idea of perennials, you know, some of them just kind of taking over. You know, I, I even like that idea to some extent. Yeah. You know, now, mm-hmm. unlike, say, a northern sea oat that Mr. Paul loves to give away to people— <laughs> You're not ever going to let him know about that. I love love him for it. What are some of the perennials, y'all, that we don't want to be other than chameleon plants? Yeah, I was going to say the chameleon plants. I I have Rebecca that this year, Mm -hmm. because I haven't been at the house, has exploded. Okay. Okay. It is all through my secret garden coming up in... And it's even blooming in areas that I would not think it would because it's so shady. So too much of a good thing, Jim. Yeah. Is it? Uh, So I'm going to pull... Hundreds of plants mm-hmm. out. Do of you there. think is it one variety of rubecchia, or would you say everyone? I think the that? old fashioned. Well, no, just the just the the uh, um, rubecchia was it Fogita or oh, something? Oh, okay. So let's that, not have that one, and that, it'll say on the tag. Yeah, too, for, the, I have one that has a narrow leaf that uh, it doesn't move very much, mm-hmm. uh, but the one that has a big fuzzy leaf is just gone bananas this year. So hmm. apparently, it liked the cold winter. It, oh, I didn't know those plants could turn into bananas. 
Oh, yeah. I'll show you my <laughs> bananas. Said it gone. You said it went, it's gone bananas. Yeah. This week I'm going to post, uh, uh, some, some of y'all know, I, I'm, my wife and I have moved in with our daughter, you know, uh, payback time for right. all the grief she gave me. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, she really has. Um, but anyway, she had a pool that was just um, it was zero landscape. It had dead uh, distilliums in it. Uh, so we've uh, I started working on it when this year, and uh, I'm going to post some pictures of the before and after uh, this week. And and we're still not done. We've got some other things to do. But now, are you incorporating mm-hmm. uh, perennials in there also? After I've moved yeah. a bit, number of perennials from my house over there, and still got more to do. Um, uh, but we have a we have a we have a lot of banana trees. They um, the winter, of course killed the ones that she had and the pups uh you can't believe how many pups mm. came up we've had to thin a lot of them out so these are hardy just, bananas these then. are hardy yeah. yeah this is a bashu um so anyway but they're um they've done quite well so uh, and you know we've added some added the palms and containers mm-hmm. um we've added uh lots of amaryllis um some of the spinning primrose mm. Nice. Um, so, and then against the fence, I've got uh, the three plant racks that I normally mm-hmm. keep for holding the winter. It got all the, the pots on there. So he's he's yeah. slowly turning right. his place into, into a, a botanic garden. Yes, he yeah. is, like well, he did his other place. I yeah. had actually are getting on back on some of the other types of perennials. What I was going for is, what do you think of a Gerber daisy as a perennial? They, I mean, I, I think of it as a tender that's perennial. The same here. Never tender. happened for me, but I tell you, I had a salesperson who had some planted in between their driveway and their house, mm-hmm. and it wasn't maybe eight inches of mm-hmm. soil mm-hmm. in there. Yeah, bloomed like mad. I, I love them. Like twenty foot section there came back every year because it had it was southern exposure. Yeah. That, that concrete and that wall mm-hmm. was hot, so they never had any issues with wind. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. See, uh, same thing. Um, I have always, I've never really recommended it as a perennial. I, I say it's not a perennial. It, it struggles through the summer sometimes, but I know people that have had it come back. Oh, yeah. Them. Me too. And so I just call that one a tender perennial. Because it, it seems like the winters don't bother it. It's just sometimes it's too wet and too hot where they melt. Also, That's Mark it. Mark Salzman texted in. He said, you know, we were talking about the mint a while ago. He said, while mint helps uh, with some uh, insects, is an insect repellent. Mm-hmm. He said, That's why so many people used to plant it around the old houses. You can yeah. still find it around those old right. houses because people did it on purpose mm-hmm. because uh, it also acts as, you know, as an insect repellent. So you can have mint as insect repellent. You can use those Bodark apples to repel roaches. There's all kinds of some of the old school things that work. Okay, one more. No, we're going to go to a break. Y'all hang on. But you can call us Gardeners, welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. If y'all got a question, you've got about 20 minutes to get it in. 
1-800-926-1226. Yeah. You can put it on uh, our Facebook page. Or Mighty Facebook 990 Live. Facebook yeah. page. Uh, you can shoot us a text uh, anytime. Even, yeah. You can even put it on the uh, USDA, Mid-South Gardening USDA zone. Yeah. If you're not a member, join, post pictures. It's a place where you can brag. You can show pictures of what you're doing. Uh, it's a place where you can help other gardeners, and it's a place where you can learn if you're wanting to be a gardener. Um, and there's zero uh, drama in it. Nobody's going to try to convince you to do something else, or they'll be mm-hmm. kicked off. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no preaching. Um, <laughs> so it's. Um, but there can be some bragging, though, right? That you can brag all you want. Good. Yeah. It ain't that. bragging if you can do it. Nobody That's right. says That's anything exactly right. mean yeah. either. Nobody yeah. says, like, <laughs> yeah. You don't know what you're talking about. That's right. Somebody, anything like that would be, they'd be removed immediately. So, um, anyway, it's, uh, it, it's a, it's a good group really is. There are lots of people in there that'll chime in to help you along. Um, I don't answer every question, you know, mm-hmm. uh, if you address it to me, I will answer it. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, but you know, um, so there. Please join so there. and yeah. participate with it. It's, yeah. it's a lot of fun. So I'm going to fertilize my water lilies and my lotus. But Jim would show me a picture yes. of his lotus. That's and why I'm fertilizing mine. And those things are fixing to just start blooming yeah. their heads off. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to do that today. I'm going to fertilize my containers with worm castings. And I'm going to use the tiger bloom as the liquid. Mm. So I'm doing that. Um, Good product. Man. If you haven't put pre-emergence down, I'm always telling you to do that to now, prevent the weeds. Now's the time for that second dose, you know, because you've got late germinating grasses like goosegrass and things mm-hmm. like that. Uh, and you've got early germinating things like the last few years, uh, annual bluegrass. We've seen it, in, you know, in early Crazy. August, you know. so Because when you put the pre-emergent down like the dimension, I mean, there's there's a couple rates you can put it down. A little lighter rate, that's going to last, you hope, for about three months. And then the little heavier rate, Jim, it might even last up to four months. But I always figure with all the rains that we typically get around here, it's gonna the residual mm-hmm. is going to be about a three-month residual. Yeah, right. Um, let's see. We had a caller, but she dropped off, but I think she's calling back. So that I lost my time frame. No, not my time frame. But I'm just saying about every three months, you know, put that pre-emergent down because so many of these weeds that we have to go out there and Mm -hmm. kill later on potentially are coming up from seed. Fertilizing your lawn. You don't have to use like a high nitrogen to make it green really fast, you know, but fertilize your lawn to Mm -hmm. keep it thick. That way... It doesn't allow as much sunlight to the to the soil, which then the water doesn't evaporate as quickly, mm-hmm. or you don't have as many weeds coming up. So a thick lawn comes from doing some really good fertilization yeah, to it. And also, you know, making sure that you're cutting your grasses at the right heights this right, time of year. Right. You don't want to go out there and really scalp your Bermuda or zoysia or even fescue lawns as far as that goes. Uh, I mean, even though I know it looks good, now you do see some people cutting Bermuda pretty low, but they're out there cutting that grass like every three days, mm-hmm. you know, and most people aren't going they're to do that. They're trying to get that golf green look. Exactly. So, and that's just too much. I agree. All right, let's go to Charmin calling from Germantown. Good morning. You're in the Mid-South Garden. Uh, good morning. I was calling about uh, a question I asked Jim Crowder a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. on Facebook, and it took me a while to find Holly Tone he, mm-hmm. uh, for my camellias. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I thought was going to die, and he told me to get holly cone, and I finally got some. Mm-hmm. And the instructions say 
to dig a hole 12 to 18 inches. Oh, I just got squirted by the hose. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it happens. I know, God. right? Regrouped. But anyway, I can't dig a hole 12 to 16. 18 inches what? deep. That's bizarre. In that area. No, I think it's... No. Yeah, no, 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 there's no. a backwards... Something's bizarre yeah, uh, on that label with if, that. If, if, this is established plant. All of your roots are in the top two to three inches max mm-hmm. uh, on a okay. camellia. So all you need to do is just spread it on top of the ground. And then okay, wa- well, good. And then yeah, water it I in, think. you know. Now, remember, your <laughs> okay. most active feeder roots are going to be out and beyond your drip line. It's going to be wider right. than your plant. So right. be generous okay. with your fertilizer. Right. Okay. Okay. All right. Boy, That's I what sure I would. Because I thought I never would get a hole. Uh-uh. No, same. Darling, I, I would never. If you yeah. go to and if you go to an independent garden <laughs> center, you'll find holly tone. Yeah. Okay. You won't I, yeah. probably won't find it in box stores. I finally found it, so good, good. I appreciate it. But thank you. That was what's been holding me up. I've got two big, bigger camellia. Well, they're about the same height, yeah. but they're on the uh, south side of the house, and they're kind of growing together, so mm-hmm. it's like one long hedge. And um, I want to get some in there, too. I, they've dropped all the brown leaves, and they're mm-hmm. still pretty much all green, but I want to get them. Yeah. Um, you want those things yeah, to flush out. That's right. So I, I, I have to ask you, did you pick your new house out because it had so many plants there? <laughs> I did. I figured I did. that. That's beautiful. I walked in the backyard, and it took my breath away, and I said, this is the house I want. Make a contract. <laughs> and he said, he said no, my, my nephew, Carson Cook, was my nephew. And he said, hey, Charmaine, you've got to see the house, too. Come on in. <laughs> 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 I just knew that when you started showing pictures of your new garden, that she picked this house out. <laughs> she said she loved to, it. Before. I've been to her old garden, and it was you know she had put many many years of work into it. Uh, and, I, and she was so she she hated to leave it. I love but, it. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm so glad you got something to, that you can work in that. I did, and they they did such a beautiful job. They had good soil down everywhere. Mm-hmm. They had all these gorgeous plants, and it's. Just it's a postage stamp yard in yeah. Germantown, mm-hmm. but I love it. It's perfect for me, and it's on the end of a cove, and it's private, and yeah. uh, it's um, I just love it here. But and and I brought about forty big hostas in pots. Oh, it yeah. took me a week. It took me longer to move my plants than it did the pack. <laughs> right, right. So I'm, I'm having fun just now getting things where I want them to be, and. Uh, established and they look great. The high, azaleas all recovered and mm-hmm. they look wonderful. Nothing, well, few of them bloomed. Took them a minute, uh, yeah. And I was thrilled to have camellias. I've never had camellias mm-hmm. and uh, that variegated pusa just okay. took my breath away when I saw it the first time. That's great. So it, that, so, that was a sale. <laughs> but but how horrible though? I mean, here you move into this new place. You love the landscape, and then we get this crazy winter that's trying to just beat everything down. So yeah, you're doing the right thing by feeding for sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, I appreciate it. Good to hear from you. You too. Thank you so Thanks. much. I usually listen on the podcast because I'm usually out working, but I, yeah. it just dawned on me this is Saturday morning. I can actually ask him about this. You stuff. got that All right. right. All right. <laughs> Thank you. All right, thank, thank you so much. Thank you. Have Bye-bye. a great weekend. And Jim, hang on yeah. just a second. Looks like they've changed the label a little bit, but for the it was that um, for a hundred square feet incorporated into the top four or five inches of the soil. That's 
You I'm surprised they say that because I mean I just you throw don't it need to do that on our no. soil. You know, now some soils that may be a good thing, but in mm-hmm. ours it's not necessary well, to go do that. You can put it right on top. The holly tone was used in the northern areas years yeah. and years and years before we ever started using it down here. So maybe the labels kind of pertaining more to that. But no, working it in because you can't get you damage your roots. Yeah, most to get yeah, it in. most yeah. people can't work fertilizers into any bed around shallow rooted no, plants, especially. No. Well, I'm glad she called and asked. Yeah, very yeah. glad. Uh, let's go to Jim from Collierville. Good morning. You're in the Mid South Garden. Hey, good morning. Good listening to you all. Thank you, Jim. I've, I've got a lot of uh, monkey grass beds that I've got small lime green thin weeds coming up in and mm-hmm. and I'm just constantly picking those and I've I've mulched heavy but uh it's just something that keeps coming back. Is there something I can spray in there that, that won't harm the monkey grass? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean just by the description it sounds like you're talking about some kind of nut sedge That's or nut grass. Yeah. Uh and the thank goodness, Jim, there's a product called Image uh, that you can spray directly into that monkey grass. Uh, image is typically used in a lawn, but you can use it in monkey grass beds, and it will kill both. Uh, it actually kills all three. It kills broadleaf weeds. It will kill some grassy weeds, but will also kill nut sedges. And that's the only product that I know of that you can spray in that monkey grass bed to kill that nut grass without hurting the monkey grass itself. Okay. Is it just something that's already diluted, or is it a concentrate? You can you buy it. Yeah, Jim, you can buy it two ways. You can buy the concentrate that you mix yourself, have to put in your own sprayer, and you can buy it in a ready-to-spray, one that you hook to your hose. But like I always tell people, you just want it. Now, you want to keep this confined to the monkey grass. You don't want to let this get on all your other plants or desirable shrubs that might be in that same bed. So be very, very precise on where you're spraying it. Yes, sir. Okay, great. Is that something that's sold at the big box stores, or is it? Uh, I know you can find it at the independent garden centers, Jim. I don't know, honestly, if you can find it even. I don't know if you can find image at a big box store. I, 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 don't, I don't shop know. there, so yeah. I don't know. I'm not sure, Jim. <laughs> I'm trying to help, but I, I appreciate it. Thank, Thank you, right. buddy. Thanks, Jim. I appreciate it, Thanks Jim. for the call. I think we missed something that he said. No, we Jim blanked was trying to help us. No, he's, yeah, he's, no, we he knows you can find it at the independent garden centers. Yeah, I used to have people do that, call me at the nursery and mm-hmm. say, you know, can I get this at Walmart? I know. Uh, like, oh, I'm could you sure. ask them this question at Walmart? Would they yeah. give you the answer? Uh-huh. <laughs> I but, know, it is frustrating. But I know we got to go but, to a break. But Jim's having the same problem that a lot of people are. You know, they mm-hmm. get grasses uh, or whatever, sedges or whatever growing in that monkey grass. And it's almost impossible and practical to think you can go in there and pull all that stuff out or they to go in there and spot treat with something like Roundup that kills anything it touches. That's true. Okay, one more break. Y'all just hang on. We'll uh, come back after these messages. Good morning. Welcome back to the Mid-South Garden. Glad you can be here with us this morning. Let's go to Jamie, the Master Gardener. Good morning, Jamie. Good morning. Hey, Jamie, good morning to you, buddy. How y'all doing, okay? We're great. I think it's going to be another beautiful day today. And I tell you, honestly, to me, the weather's been pretty darn good so far this year. You know, we hadn't cranked it up like we did last summer, but I'm sure those days are coming. You know, I was just noticing that yesterday, I guess it was, I was out playing in the yard and 
how pleasant it was. It you know it was still mm-hmm. eighty five degrees or whatever, but boy, it was nice. I agree with you. Now, Jim, as far uh, Jamie, as far as the Master Gardener program goes, anything coming up that we need to know about? Just happened to have a little thing, you know, like the the the. Uh, Mid-South Great Tomato Contest is coming up next month, mm-hmm. and I hope everybody's tomatoes are doing well, and they'll bring us one, and so we can we can say who got the best one. <laughs> and that is located at the uh, around the Red Barn area at the uh, uh, the Agri Center, and That's correct. and that is in July. And what's the date of that, Mister Jamie? The fifteenth, July the fifteenth. And I think our very own Mr. Jim Crowder is going to be a judge this year, isn't he? Yes, that's uh, correct. He missed last year. He wasn't feeling well. So, but anyway, everybody's looking forward to seeing him again. And uh, we've got our judges all lined up: Judge McCullough, Judge Judge Smith, uh, good deal, Walter Battle, and then Jim. And uh, so anyway, we're in good shape, and we're just waiting. Waiting for you to get here. That'd be great. So that's July the 21st, you said, next month at the Ag Center, and that's the Great Tomato Contest. And I guess people can go online under the Master Gardeners um, and read all about this uh, great little event, correct? Yeah, it's, it's a big event for us. Maybe a little for y'all. But no, it's no, it's a huge but, event. But I'm saying if they want to know more about it, Jamie, they can go on the webpage and read about it, correct? Correct. That's correct. But anyway, and, and the uh, thanks for your help with that through our garden gates. It uh, it really went well, and thank Great. you. I don't know. You guys really help us with that. So well, we and, really appreciate it. and Jamie, I've had people come into the garden center and say how much they truly, truly loved going to these different uh, gardens. And a lot of people said they, they stayed so long at one garden, they couldn't make it to all <laughs> of them, but they really enjoyed it. <laughs> Well, it's, it's a pleasant experience because these people have really, really worked hard. Yeah. And went to no ex- uh, you can't imagine the expense these people went to just to mm-hmm. just to get their yards and and presentable and and hope hope just so put them out come out and say you done good. That's exactly That's right. right. Well, everything I heard, people absolutely loved it, Mister Jamie. Well, anyway, thank y'all so very much, and we appreciate you. And y'all be safe. Thank you, Jamie. Thanks so much for calling in. Yes, the Great Tomato Contest is coming up. Uh, let's go to Lisa, I think, from Hernando, Mississippi. Good morning. You're in the Mid-South Garden. Hi there. Oh, hello. How can we help you today? So I have this plant that um, I uh, uh, grew from an, a big bush last year, mm-hmm. and there are all these smaller, um, you know, young tender little lamb hydrangeas and you know so there's still babies but there's something that's got that's eating us that holds all in them in the pot so i don't know what's wrong but i don't know what to do about it well i mean typically if you see a leaf or a hole in the leaf of a hydrangea uh, it's either going to be typically speaking a caterpillar or beetle or slug okay now, if it's okay. a if it's a slug or snail, you usually see the little silver trails they leave behind, and so they're pretty easy to say, "Hey, that's what's eating this leaf." So, if you don't see any, uh, Lisa, any slug trails or snail trails, then I would have to assume it's a beetle or a caterpillar. And if that's the case, really, all you have to do is go out there and spray that uh, foliage down uh, with a just a broad-spectrum insecticide that will kill both caterpillars and beetles. 
and then come back in about a week or 10 days and reapply it. But, um, yeah, just really spraying to get rid of whatever the critter is is the best thing to do. Okay, great. All right, so my second question is, I bought these beautiful hanging pots from the garden center, these calabracula, and I'm doing something wrong because they're totally dying underneath. Yeah, Calabricoa are the those um, the annuals you're talking about. Gosh, they're so wonderful. Mm-hmm. But I go through a lot of times and just prune them all back, mm-hmm. fertilize them real well, and let them flush back out. They um, also know that if they have too much competition, then they seem to bloom less and less. But fertilization, pruning back, that should get them to flush back out. Sometimes you need to give them a little extra shade in the summer, but really. Just fertilization. And I think Lisa's problem was uh, either they stay too wet or they stay too dry. Mm -hmm. It's one or the other. Yeah, those two. Yeah, Um, that too. But if you keep those at a fairly constant moisture, they're absolutely Mm -hmm. beautiful. But they, I've also noticed, Lisa, where they don't like wet feet. You can't keep those things too wet. And a lot of times we kill them with tender love and care. Uh Yeah, they kind of give themselves (laughs) their own virus when they're too... Too wet. They so, really do. But you got to water, and I get it, but uh, you want to make sure these things stay moist, not wet. And like Veda said, at this point, you might just clean them up really good, feed them mm-hmm. to stimulate new growth. And like she said also, maybe put them somewhere where they're not getting that full blazing afternoon sun. Give them a chance to kind of regroup and start right. to regrow. Yeah, they get morning sun, but not afternoon sun. No, that'll so work. They might That's be fine. just going a little too dry before the next watering so that may be it. Just bump up the moisture. Put worm castings all in the, the hanging baskets. Oh, worm castings. Oh, great. Yeah, I think I did both extremes by accident. Oh, like absolutely. Absolutely. And we then do. I overcompensated and went too wet. Yeah. So I'll do that. That's me. Thank That's you. Me. Thanks, Thank you. Lisa. Have Thanks a great for weekend. Here. In. And, and Calabrosia, yeah. I mean, there are other bedding plants, you know, that maybe are not as quite as finicky jim mm-hmm. is it when it comes to moisture uh i love that plant i mean that's why i don't care how potentially hard it might be to uh-huh. grow i'm going to grow it okay but i have seen that if they stay too dry they'll do that or if mm-hmm. they stay way too wet they're going to do that i have a friend who has hanging baskets and the, they reseed into the pots below and then the next year she has calabricoa in the pots um but yeah it is more the constant um moisture on it so I just did that with some hanging baskets, cut some back, um, fertilized them real good with, like I said, I was going to do the worm castings and the tiger bloom. Mm-hmm. And um, they're flushing and popping just so quickly. They're just sitting there just waiting for some food. Jim, <laughs> any, you know, any advice on do's and don'ts on that particular bedding plant? I mean, because... Um, well, for, I think, of course, water is the key issue is getting that right, and that can be difficult. But, you know... Because you're putting water in a hanging basket, you're flushing out the nutrients. So it takes extra fertilizer to keep them pretty. And don't hesitate to prune them. You know, when you get spent flowers, prune them back because every cut you make, you're going to get two or three new ones sprouts off the sides Mm -hmm. of it to to replace it. So uh, it's a little more high maintenance, but well worth it if you do it right. And I'm going to tell you right now also, not all potting stores are the same. We know that, Mm -hmm. right? Isn't that the truth? My wife (laughs) bought a hanging basket. It's a and it had uh, some blooming annuals in it. And I watered it and stuck it on a shepherd's hook, and it almost pulled the thing down. <laughs> right. And I'm like, 
and I, and I could tell when I picked it up how heavy yeah. the thing was. I'm like, there's absolutely nothing's going to live in mm. this soil. I mean, nothing's Just, going to. Yeah, yeah. I know it's it's tough getting the right soil for the hanging baskets because it's either too heavy or too light. We had a really good soil for hanging baskets. The plants did fantastic, but pulled the shepherd hook over. Yeah. So I had to add a little lightness to it. Yep. All right, y'all. I guess we're out of here. Listen to our podcast. Uh, join Jim on the Facebook page, and we will look so forward to seeing you next weekend in the Mid South Garden.